The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! Today's episode of What Happened When Monday with Tony Schiavone is brought to you by BrandNewHouse.com. Of course, we've been telling you for the last few weeks about how you can get your very own brand new house with as little as just $500 down. And the great thing about a brand new house is not only is it new, it's custom to you. So you get to pick where it is and what it looks like from the color of the brick to the flooring, the countertops, the kitchen cabinets, the door handles, the paint, whatever. It's all your choice at brandnewhouse.com. You can also own your very own brand new house for roughly what you're paying in rent right now. And again, you don't need a down payment. You might not need a down payment at all, but many families can get a brand new house for only $500 down at brandnewhouse.com. The best part though, is everything is brand new. So there's no repairs and your new home comes with a warranty. And no matter your budget, you can own a brand new house at brandnewhouse.com. So what are you waiting for? Go to brandnewhouse.com right now. Scoobord in him cube. Two Wolverines all grown up figuring out what they should do. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Jim Crockett for Starcade, 605 NWA. TV title, Cajun Omni, the Bunkhouse Stampede. Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express Tag Team. Turner Bond in Mid-South Joint World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions. Tony and first North, they win. Look, Shivani's back again. World title split off center stage. Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro. New World Order and the Crow. Thunder Russo, Arquette Champ, Vinnie Mac, simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad. Not your classy podcast. Watch a long time not to laugh. Lois rules cat back. This wasn't the initial plan. Tom Ziggs a good looking man. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When Monday on the MLW Radio Network and the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, the host with the most, Mr. Tony Schiavone is with us. Tony, what's going on, man? Conrad, uh, we're, we're not always sure what happened when, but we know that we're fucking happening right now. Yeah, we are, and we happen to be covering Super Brawl from 1998. That's been 20 years since we, uh, first saw this go down back on February 22nd, 1998. So this Thursday is the actual 20 year anniversary and Tony watching this back. This feels like it was about 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like 20 years ago to me. Yeah. Time really goes by quickly, especially when you're my age. And I agree. Uh, but, but I got the feeling after watching this show again, Conrad, that, uh, I don't know. I got, I got kind of got the feeling that we were, we were starting our decline. You know, it's funny that you say that because I didn't get that feeling at all. And maybe the reason that I feel that way is because we just covered no way out 1998, the WWF show from the very same month with Bruce Pritchard this past Friday at something to And that was just a fucking awful pay-per-view top to bottom. And it just felt like 
they really had no idea what they were doing except hey we're trying to get to wrestlemania and super brawl you know my my takeaway was damn a lot of stuff happened on this show lots of talent lots of good matches lots of good angles i really dig it you know it's i I really dreaded watching this this week and i thought god i'm so tired of 1998 i just I just don't know that I even want to watch Super Brawl before we have to watch it for the for the actual podcast. But right. then I did, and when it was over, I was like, damn, that was actually pretty good. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, the show was was pretty good. I, I agree with you there. I, just some things, I don't know, maybe it brought back some memories, uh, uh, and, and maybe that was it. Not sure, but uh, I don't think there's any question when we uh, fire up the old uh, machine here. Uh, we're going to find out that man, the, the, the crowd was into us that night. Yeah, they were. And you know what? I'm glad that you, uh, you mentioned that because I say we just jump right into it. Is Lois around? Can we get her to help us? Hold on. Let me look under the table. Hey, you ready? She's. Now she's in a setting position. All right. Shut up, Tony. Three, two, one, go. So we open up with a black and white video of Hulk Hogan and Sting. (laughs) And there he is with that bird way up in the rafters. Well, we've seen him pull off his shirt before. And now... They push each other away. This is the rematch that we waited for. We're going to find out finally who is the real world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan or Sting. Uh, the Crow. Uh, the uh, I like that. I, I, I was taken aback that they put J.J. freaking Dillon in that open. Like, I don't know, for what? To yeah. make people fall asleep? And, of course, the, the big storyline here is what is going on with the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and will he get involved in it? And we are coming to you live from the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California. We do know Barry Bonds is uh, in attendance. He is in the backstage area right now talking to Big Papa Pump. We don't know what about. And also uh, Nancy Pelosi is in attendance, and she's going to have dinner with Mean Gene Oakland after the show at Skoma's on Fisherman's Wharf. Okay, I can't so, believe Nancy Pelosi was really here. Are you being serious right now? No. Okay. But I was going to say, you know, Barry Bonds being there makes sense. Was he really there? No. Okay, because I knew what he would be talking to Scott Steiner about. So you're working me six uh, ways work, to Sunday here. Yeah, working you six ways to Sunday. And let's take a look at Tony Schiavone in all black. Now, the last time we did a Super Bowl was Super Bowl three. So five years later, Tony Schiavone's obviously been sucking on an air hose. Look at the fat ass in the middle of the stands there with Bobby the Brain Heenan. But I think I look kind of pretty good in all Johnny Cash black. Now, let me ask you, does Heenan's chair look higher than mine? I would say yes. Well, I feel like your chair is so high here, your feet are dangling. When I look at this shot, the thing that stands out to me is that Super Brawl, the logo, is not centered. It's more towards the right. How could you guys not frame this upright? What the fuck? Well, you need to ask Craig Leathers about that, but, uh, you know, Craig was in all his glory in that time, so he didn't give a shit because he was running things. You look constipated right there as Iron Mike is talking. What's going on with you and Iron Mike? Do y'all have, like, some sort of subscription to No Collar of the Month? 
Uh, yeah, that, that was the uh, back in 1998. No collar was kind of fashionable. Now, now you back in 1998 were kind of just a punk kid in jeans and t-shirts, so no. you wouldn't have known. Well, here's the deal: you act like you're the fucking fashion plate, and you've got a tuxedo shirt jacket on that's three sizes too small. Yeah, so I don't know <laughs> that you're really in a position to be giving fucking fashion advice okay. here. Uh, okay, I, I listen. I'm I'm not constant. That's one thing. And I and I went the, uh, I went to the doctor recently, and they asked about my feces. Uh, and I, mm. uh, I said, you know what? I said, I've, I've never been constipated in my life. Never, never. I, I can shit with the best of them. And I don't know what that is, but let's go to the ring. I mean, you want to shit take, on the floor, right? Uh, yeah, yes. So there, I mean, I can shit on call. Apparently take a look at the fans here and, and Booker T's music, how the fans are just into this. Not look, look, not only at ringside, but from the top, they're just, they're into this raise the roof with Booker T. You know, well, that's what's uh, really stuck out to me here is this is going to be, and I feel like it sort of flies under the radar. This show is the coming out party for Booker T, in my opinion, uh, and it starts with the big crowd reaction. This whole raise the roof thing that he was doing and the music and the look and the matches, he's the perfect wrestler for WCW right here. Probably the best shape he's ever been in. And the fans are just fired up for him. And this is historically more of a WWF territory, right? And, and, and he's not a WWF guy, you know, he's not one of the favorites they grew up on and he is over like Rover. And a lot of it has to do with this, raise the roof hand gesture. It's almost like, yes, yes, yes. Just a few years ago with Daniel. Bryan. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it shows you that we were doing something right at that time. And how in the world did we lose all of that? At that time, there's a pretty girl at ringside. Uh, and now I wonder how she looks here 20 years later. Uh, I saw a lot of pretty girls at ringside and I said, I bet you, man, 20 years later, they are hags. Oh, what is wrong with you? <clears throat> well, just, uh, just, I'm just, just wondering. And now here is Rick Martell. Interesting match we got coming up here. And Rick Martell, I thought played a very good heel here. Uh, and remember he was Rick, the model Martell in the WWF. Uh, here he comes in. Interesting, uh, interesting entrance here as well. The entrance way. They didn't kind of walk straight. They kind of walked straight and then walked to their right in front of the video board, which I thought was pretty cool. I actually like it. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the big fancy set that the WWF would use for a lot of their pay-per-views that people still miss and talk about. But, uh, I thought the idea of it being a little off center made it interesting. It was different. It was unique. Mickey J, the referee, you ready to go here, Conrad? I'm trying to get in my, uh, uh, you know, my MLW uh, <clears throat> mode here, calling matches, uh, because I've been calling matches uh, for uh, Major League Wrestling and uh, kind of, and here we go. Uh, interesting match because this is where uh, Rick Martell blows out his knee. That's right. Legitimately, uh, very early in the match, he has what was believed to be a torn MCL. And uh, Meltzer were right. The two ended up working a fairly good match that had a lot more heat than the previous matches between the two. Uh, and then of course he rates it two and three quarter stars. Hmm. The fans are, are pretty hot for this. They're going to go about 10 and a half minutes. And, uh, I guess Rick Martell's supposed to be heel, although we don't really have a reason to boo him. Uh, he's only been with the company here for about a month and he's the TV champ having recently beaten Booker T for the television title. So this is a rematch for that belt. And Rick Martell, it's been said, sort of shows up out of nowhere backstage and looks like a million bucks after, 
really not being on television for a long time. Right. It, he almost feels ageless at this point because at this point, you know, we've seen him on WWF TV for, I don't know, 15 years and he looks phenomenal here. Does he not? Oh, he does. You know, I called him Rick, the model, model Martel because back when I was with the WWF in 89, uh, he was the model back then. Now we're talking about almost 10 years later. Uh, and he looks the same and maybe even looks better, but he, he's now dressed in all black when the model used to have, you know, used to be in the white, uh, and have the white scarf on and everything. So he's, uh, he's turned into a heel with some vicious stuff. Interesting enough. And I, and I was reading about this match, uh, on the internet and I, I don't know what you've read. I don't know what Meltzer said about it, but according to what I read, uh, that Martel was supposed to go over, but because he blew out his knee, they changed it. And they put Booker T over. I'm not so sure that that was supposed to happen. And the reason I'm saying that, you're probably saying, well, Shivana, you probably know what the finish was. Yeah, I know what the, I knew, usually knew what the finish was, but they would change things on us all the, all the time. And a lot of times when we would sit down in the announced position with what in mind was the finish, they would change it in the backstage area just on a whim and not tell us about it. So I, I don't know really what was supposed to happen here, but what happened here, I thought was pretty cool. The, uh, earlier in the week, the, the nitro prior to this was in Tampa and that's where we would see Martel win the match in about eight minutes. And it happens when Perry Saturn interferes and JJ Dillon would announce that at super brawl, Martel has to defend the title that he just won against Booker T and the winner on the very same show is going to have to defend it against Perry Saturn. Right. Of course, Rick Martel can't be happy about that because he didn't cheat, but Perry Saturn did. And now he might have to wrestle two matches. Well, of course we know that's not going to be the case. And Booker T is going to wind up doing double duty here, but as hot as the crowd was for his entrance and then him working two back to back matches like this super brawl, you know, about a fifth of the show winds up being all about Booker T. Yes, it does. And, and I think rightfully so, I, because he's a great performer. And, and you're right. It's his coming down party. Uh, he looked great here. It was a great match. I, I was, uh, and you're going to see it a little bit later on, I, I was a little bit surprised. Uh, and again, it's one of those things where we weren't told what was going to go down or how it was going to go down. Uh, Booker T, and uh, who's going to win this match, and then with Perry Saturn, will happen immediately afterwards. Uh, that we were, we were not told about. So we were surprised about great standing sidekick, great extension. You see the fans that are responding to it and responding to Booker T as well. You know, it's, it's, it's funny in, in the efforts of WCW and really the efforts of, uh, back then prior to this era of uh, Bill Watson, trying to find a African American black superstar looking for Ron Simmons. Here's your black superstar right here. Here's your man. It really is. And uh, Booker T had so much going for him. He had a great look. Uh, he had a pretty good rap. He did that spin, as we called breakdance, uh, uh, kip up. Uh, he had everything going for him. And this was a great way to start our, our broadcast. I am so glad in the back of my mind right now, as I'm sitting in the chair at the Cow Palace, that we did not start this thing with a luchador tag team match. <laughs> I'm thinking, thank God we didn't do that. So why not? You know, Hey, and you know, the old school of me does not mind a full arm dragon twist. I'm sorry, full arm drag and twist. 
which Booker T had applied right there to Rick the Bottle Martell. Got to snap him into the corner. Oh, Martell hit hard. I think they screwed up their spot right there. Booker T was thinking he was going to come out, and Martell held on. Although Martell, it looks like, yep, there goes a the knee right there. Did you see that? Yeah, it's uh, it's already yep. uh, apparent that yep. uh, they're going to have some trouble finishing this. But kudos to Rick Martell for powering through here because, uh, I mean, that's the mark of a professional to see the match through, even though he's clearly yeah, not he's in a hurting. good way. Yeah, I, I think what happened was uh, that he just he got, he got that beal or hip toss or whatever you want to call it and then landed on the ropes and, and that blew out the knee. Uh, you know, again, it goes back to the fact, and, and I don't know what reports were back in the day or what Melcher or all the other slapdicks wrote. I, I shouldn't call them slap, Melcher or slapdick. Slapdick is a is an affectionate term that we use here on this program, not reserved to dickheads like him. But uh, I don't know what all the other dickheads said about ooh, Rick Martel's uh, professionalism, but he was always a a pro. Every I don't I don't I think. Uh, if he had a heat with guys, I, I was not aware of it. I always thought he was a pro and willing to do whatever. And the fact that he he, he battled through this uh, and he's he's really stomping in with his bad leg right now shows us that Martell is a pro. Martell is uh, obviously somebody that uh, all these fans would be familiar with from his days in the WWF. Uh, but a couple of guys they might not be super familiar with worked the only dark match this night. Ultimo Dragon got a win over Kaz Hayashi. And um, apparently, both the WWF and WCW had expressed interest in Kaz Hayashi over the most recent weeks. Yeah. But Meltzer would write the only reports I heard were that it was disappointing. Mm. Do you remember uh, ever hearing about a dark match that really. Um, had the whole arena or the office or the boys talking one way or another. Do you remember there being a dark match in particular that ever had anybody interested in the back? Uh, no, I do not. I, I, again, I kind of, because we were in preparation mode at that time. Uh, I, I usually never stood in the back and watched a dark match on the monitor or paid much attention to it. So I, I really can, I, it's not, this is not one of these things where, Oh, fucking Shivani, uh, doesn't remember. I can tell you, I don't remember dark matches because I didn't watch them. And there's a one, two, and a two count from Mickey J. Uh, for a, a plump referee, Mickey J certainly could get around that ring quite well. No, you're exactly right. You know, I, I know that people like to poke fun um, at his shape, but the reality is the dude was always where he needed to be. Yes, he was good. He was good. You know, if, if you think about it, and, and during this show, we're going to have, you know, uh, uh, plump Mickey J. We're going to have Carl from Sling Blade. Uh, we're going to have a 60-year-old uh, Charles Robinson. And we're going to have Nick Patrick. Uh, and uh, as our referees, I thought all of them were very good. Uh, looked like a neck vice here. And here comes uh, Booker T uh, powering out of that. And let's see if the fans cannot get with him. Into the ropes. Martell picks him up. Man, I'm telling you. If you go back and watch this match, this is now the second time I've watched it this week, knowing what you know about Rick Martell's injury, it just, uh, it, it, just the work rate here is great. It really, really is. And he's got now the Boston Crab sitting down deep there. You see Mickey J. Is he reaching to the rope? Oh, yes. he. The, the drama of getting to the rope. We always sold that, didn't we? Absolutely. Did he get to the rope? Yeah. 
Can he get to the rope? My God. And, uh, something else was going on here, and I, and I noticed this as this match is going on, and it happened during the course of the night, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what it was. But as you look at the, from the hard camera to the ring, there was something always going on on the left side. Everybody kept looking over to their right. Here's a, a crossbody, good roll, roll through, one, two, and a two count. But you'll see fans start to stand up, look to the right as, as if they were, I don't know, they were heckling another fan. Kind of a messed up move here. But again, Booker T is really concerned. Booker T, when, when an injury occurs like this, uh, and here's a little insight, and you should, this is probably uh, going to be logical, but when an injury occurs like this, all of a sudden now, your opponent, who in effect is your partner right. in this match, helps, tries to help you out a little bit tries to stay away from and do things, tries to stay away from your injury. And that's what Booker T has been trying to do here. Uh, and that, that certainly uh, kind of changes the complexion of this match. Uh, a note about the Cow Palace. Uh, of course, if you've not been to the Cow Palace, it is not in downtown San Francisco. It's out near the airport. And it's an old place where they used to uh, bring uh, cattle in, in uh, livestock. Uh, it, so if you think that the San Francisco area is all posh, and city life, uh, no, not necessarily there. Wow. The old sidewalk slam from Booker T. He's going to raise the roof now. The fans are going to react. Yes, sir. Go up and get him. Now, this is where Booker T, uh, this is a spot that either they messed up or they called it as a miss, but it, it wasn't, uh, it didn't connect like everyone thought it would. You know, sometimes in wrestling, you give the fans exactly what they expect. And then sometimes you turn the tables on them. Martell's still going up top. Wow. Harlem sidekick for the what? One, two, three. It's over. So now we know that they got to wrestle Perry Saturn. Perry Saturn comes in. We are kind of surprised here that it's going to happen right now. But Mickey J said, oh, well, yeah, I got the belt. So here, take this belt back. And the rings of Saturn. Go ahead. Ring the bell. And let's start another match. So why not? How weird, uh, how weird does Perry Saturn look with hair here? Oh, yeah. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Perry Saturn, another uh, uh, Mickey J's uh, letting us know that they are the starting the match inside cradle for a two count. Perry Saturn Perry, with hair could be uh, Rick Steiner's cousin. Yes, he could absolutely. He could be a Steiner. He could be a a Steiner bro or a Steiner uh, one of the one of the Steiners. Actually, uh, we got uh, I don't know. We got uh, we got uh, school board. We got ham cubes and I don't know. And rings. <laughs> so that's the third Steiner. Everybody in the Steiner family, uh, we understand, had a nickname uh, during the uh, during the family reunion. So we give him one called Rings. Super Brawl, as we mentioned, uh, goes down February 22nd. It is a sellout crowd here. 12,620 yes. fans. Uh, 11,954 of those were paid. And it's a new city record. For three hundred and ten thousand nine hundred and seventy-four dollars, and an incredible number for merchandise, one hundred and twenty-seven thousand um, dollars, and it's sort of an interesting time because the Cow Palace is a very famous arena, but yes. even Meltzer twenty years ago was saying an outdated facility, which is probably now one of the world's most famous pro wrestling arenas. You know, lots of guys who drew in California. The building that you wanted to work in, if you were working on the West Coast, was the Cow Palace for years yes, and it years. Was. Yes, it was. And and that's what kind of shocked me. 
And I mentioned about that because being a wrestling fan, you'd heard about the Cow Palace and you heard about this great venue out in San Francisco. And I didn't know much about it until I got there. And then I'm looking around thinking, this is it. This, this is the Cow Palace? Oh, yeah. And the history is, uh, it's, it's not just a real cool nickname. The history does have cows in it. Oh, it does? In San Francisco? <clears throat> is there another venue we can work? Like downtown? No. Okay, well, here we are in the Cow Palace. And as this match goes on, I, I, I can't uh, go on here without thinking about it. I, I really thought hard about this during the week. If we are going to this great venue out in San Francisco, and if we are in a basic WWE territory uh, and doing business like this, we should have stopped, not stopped the match or stopped the pay-per-view, but the following week stopped what we were doing as a company and thought, you know what? We're doing something right here. What are we doing right? Identify it. And then how can we do it better? And then again, I got to thinking, you know what? A lot of, we didn't have time because we had Nitro the next night. And then we would have thunder coming up in a couple of days because we were doing so much TV and because in, in reality, uh, I guess we didn't have the staff that we needed or quality people in place in the staff that we needed. Uh, we did not have a chance to uh, stop and, and really, I'm sure, um, come to grips with what we were doing right, but we were doing something right. And not only that, we got two guys doing something right here because both can very work very, very well. Of course, uh, we're coming off of the sold out pay-per-view and the WWF on the other side in their January pay-per-view debuted Mike Tyson and we're on our way to WrestleMania. Uh, and Mike Tyson is going to be the special guest referee and allegedly WCW had tried to make a play to get Mike Tyson, much like the WWF had tried to make a play to get Dennis Rodman. But whereas WCW won the right to work with Dennis Rodman, maybe won the bidding war. Mike Tyson is going to the WWF. Do you remember there ever being discussion about you guys trying to work a deal with Mike Tyson? Uh, there went, we heard that I heard things about it. Uh, and I, I know that was one of those deals where that Eric was trying to work that, uh, and he wasn't, you would hear things about it. You would, you could go to Eric and he would talk to you about it, but he wouldn't really, um, make that public that much. So you guys are still winning the ratings war, but the WWF yeah. is closing the gap. And, um, as we're on our way to super brawl, you have the second highest rated nitro up to that point. Now, of course the top rated nitro we covered last year, it went down in August of 97 when raw was preempted for tennis, nitro did a 4.97, but on the February 2nd edition, just a couple of weeks prior to this, you guys managed to pull a 4.93. And that, uh, certainly beat Raw's 3.45. So WCW is doing an all time high here. Are they not spectacular business? But, but you just met, you said something that, that really, uh, piqued my interest here. WWF back then closing the gap, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, that just tells me a lot that, 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 again, that tells me that here we are on top of the mountain. But the, the, the other company is closing the gap again. What can we do to maintain this, uh, this heat? And I don't know what it is. Now you see the fans, there's a fan standing up with the, their, 
I'm sorry to, uh, I guess maybe I need my Ritalin, but the fans are looking to their left. I don't know if something's going on there. It's not a fight, but just something crazy going on. Oh, how about that forearm? Or as Terry Taylor would have called a five arm. Uh, and uh, did I tell you I saw Terry Taylor? You did. And we talked yeah. about it last week on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I know. I just wanted to say, wanted to ask you so I could just say this about Terry Taylor, that he can go fuck himself. Okay, into the corner and a roll. Great move and a great move out of the way by Perry Saturn. I'm kind of getting back in this wrestling thing. You, you, you notice I can, that? I can tell you're getting a little fired up about it. I don't yeah. mean to sidetrack you, but I do want to talk about the rumor and innuendo. Since Mike okay. Tyson is going to the WWF, there was speculation and, and maybe Jim Ross actually fed into this a little bit on the WWF hotline, but there were rumors that you guys were looking for a special guest referee for sting Hogan here. Um, of course, super brawl is going to be the pay-per-view you guys are trying to position to be one of your top shows alongside Halloween havoc and Starcade. And so since the other guys got Mike Tyson, maybe you would get a Vander Holyfield. Of course, the correspondent situation there is Evander Holyfield is the guy Mike Tyson bit to lose his license. And he's also the guy who just beat Mike Tyson in their original bout. So this seems like a WCW move. Do you remember Uh there ever being any sort of negotiations? Because that's what Jim Ross is saying that you guys were trying to bring in Evander Holyfield to be the special guest referee for sting Hogan here. Yeah, uh, there was. And the, the word that we had all heard, and I think this is pretty legit. I don't know if Meltzer even brought that, that Evander wanted too much money well, to do it. Wade Keller reported that he believed the press conference that WCW was holding at the Harley Davidson Cafe on February 11th was going to be that they were actually announcing that Evander Holyfield was coming in and was going to be the special guest referee here in the main event. Instead, they wind up using that press conference to announce a new seven figure deal for a new toy distributor. Uh, I believe it was four kids entertainment and toy biz. Mm. And, uh, the folks who attend that press conference are Ric Flair, uh, the giant Eric Bischoff and mean Gene Okerlund. What do you remember about, um, this toy line and the press conference and Evander Holyfield? Does any of that ring a bell? Uh, the, uh, I don't think it does ring a bell. And here, here's what I, I don't remember it being about Evander Holyfield. Okay. I, I do remember that we all thought that Evander Holyfield, uh, there was a chance, but then he wanted too much money. But the, uh, this toy deal was, it was a big deal. Sure. And, uh, it was one of, it was kind of like this, uh, the EA sports deal that we, uh, got it. In other words, we became, when you ink a deal with a merchandise company, toys, video games, whatever, you become partners with them. And we were terrible partners with everybody. We were just absolutely terrible partners with everybody. Ask anybody, ask anybody who worked for EA sports back then at that time, ask anybody who worked for this toy company. We just did not deliver on what we had promised. Now who's to blame for that. I don't know. Here's a cover one, two, a two count, but I don't remember that being about Evander Holyfield. I think we all thought that Evander would have been a, a pretty good, uh, special guest referee, but. He wanted a whole lot of money to do that. Uh, now, Craig Leathers, in his divine wisdom, said, hey, it's California. It's San Francisco. Here's a cover. One, two. Uh, he said, why don't we get Jerry Garcia? And I said, well, he died three years ago, you dumb fuck. Yeah. Uh, so we couldn't get uh, we couldn't get him. Uh, and, of course, Jerry was really out of shape 
by the time he passed away, much like I am right now. And Perry said, Perry doing a great job. Here's a small thing that, that I liked about Perry. He clubbed him on the back with a forearm, but he raised the hand to show the fans the forearm and get a big reaction out of it. Boy, and Perry could, uh, could do a lot of things off the ropes as well. Have a lot of time for Perry Saturn. A lot of time for him. Let's talk about something that ran in the dirt sheets around this time. Mike Tanay oh, and Scott boy. Hudson debuted as the announcing team on WCW Saturday night over the weekend. Right. They had their work cut out for them for a Goldberg versus Ming main event, which as mm. bad as it sounds was actually worse as Goldberg blew up having to go six minutes <laughs> and couldn't do his jackhammer right and ended up dropping Ming on his head, mm. which Ming wasn't particularly thrilled with as you can Uh-oh. imagine. Yeah. Some would say as Ming didn't go up well, but that wouldn't explain the follow-up when Goldberg did his move to Jimmy Hart and also lost control of him and dropped him on his head. Mm. Today and Hudson had to do a big time cover up for this fiasco. And yeah. there's talk of adding Arn Anderson as a third member of that team, which if Anderson's announcing is one tenth as good of his interviews, he'll be a natural at. Do you remember um Saturday night moving to Mike Tanay and Scott Hudson. How'd you feel about that? Do you remember there being talk of Arn Anderson getting the third chair and why didn't that happen? Well, there, look, I was the, uh, basically at this time, uh, I was the producer of WCW Saturday night and Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson and I were in charge of WCW Saturday night. Uh, I was in charge of getting the, the matches or basically I was in charge Jimmy Hart, Arn Anderson, and maybe another member of the booking committee would come up with the matches, and I would put them down on a piece of paper. I would format the entire show with interviews. We would go out and shoot the show. Because Nitro was so big, and pay-per-views obviously drove the money, and we had thunder now, no one gave a flying fuck about WCW Saturday Night but me, Jimmy Hart, and Arn Anderson. There was never any talk about Arn Anderson being another announcer. Never. It's funny if because it, the only time we saw him as an announcer is on raw when Booker T wrestled buff Bagwell. Right. So it, it's sort of weird that it never really happened, but right. it was speculated about years before it ever did happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, uh, by, by saying that, uh, Scott Hudson, who I thought was a great announcer and a great guy. And Mike today, was always a longtime friend, uh, that mentioned on a dirt sheet that are they saying that they didn't do a good enough job of covering up what happened? No, I think they're just trying to shit on Goldberg. Do you remember Goldberg <laughs> dropping Ming on his head? Yeah, sure. I remember that. And Ming wasn't that happy, but Ming was a pro and you know, listen, I was backstage all those Saturday night tapings. I, I was standing backstage. So I saw that happen. Uh, Jimmy Hart survived. Jimmy Hart and I traveled together at this time. Do you know that? I did not know that. Yes, we did. Uh, we kind of, every, everybody kind of broke loose at that time at this time. And my travel partner was Jimmy Hart at this time. And actually, Jimmy Hart, Gene Oakland, and I uh, traveled together. As a matter of fact, a little story is a sidewalk slam. Uh, a little story about this is that uh, one of our favorite places to eat in San Francisco had been and still is a restaurant called Skomas. Uh, and Skomas is uh, located on the Fisherman's Wharf. And there's going to be a mention when we see a luchador match here a little bit later on, I think when Hooventud. Uh, is wrestling, or maybe when LaParca is wrestling, uh, that I asked Mike Tanay a question about uh, Lucha Libre in Northern California. And he said it was very popular. And he talked about Pepper Gomez being one of the great uh, 
Hispanic wrestlers that was popular. Look at the fans standing up with with uh, Booker T. And 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 I said we all know Pepper Gomez. Pepper Gomez was after wrestling became the uh, Mater D at Scomas. Wow. And uh, we used to go and eat at Scomas, and and Pepper would come over and talk to us, which we all thought was really cool because you know, I mean everybody knew who Pepper Gomez was. And uh, so uh, we would. So after the event, me and Jimmy Hart and uh, Gene Okerlund were traveling together after this event. And uh, whoa, Harlem sidekick! How about that? That should be at one, two, three. Very good. Still got his move over. Perry pushing to the limit, and buddy, the fans are reacting to Booker T. And it just goes to show, like you said, Conrad, if you have like a you know raise the roof, like a yes, yes, yes. Fans get with you. That's just like the old the diamond cutter thing that Dallas Page would do back then. So Booker T goes just over 10 and a half minutes in the first match. He goes 14 minutes and 23 seconds here in the second match. So roughly your first half hour of this show is all about Booker T. The match with Perry Saturn got a star and a quarter from Dave Meltzer in his Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Wow. Well, there you go. He's Mr. Know-it-all as, and if he does, if he gives a star and a quarter to the match, much to suck. Well, you know, there you go. Uh, probably Perry Saturn and uh, Booker T never called Dave Meltzer. And that's why the match got the stars. Let's take a look at some of the replay. Once again, here's the scissor kick on top of the head. Wow. That thing. I don't know if it was stiff or not, but that thing looks stiff to me. And to pick up Booker T with the agility. And here comes the Harlem sidekick. Oh boy. Boy, Saturn could take a bump. Couldn't he? Wow. One, two, three, and Booker T is the television champion wrestled twice. Anyway, to, to continue the story, and, and I may have to stop here in a moment because we may be going to Gene Okerlund here. I'm not sure. But so after this event, I told Jimmy Hart, I said, let's go to Scomas and eat because it's the West Coast. It's a little bit early. Oh, hold on a second. Here's Chris Jericho and Lee Marshall, Tony the Tiger, to your right, and Mark Madden over to your left. Look at the look how Jericho would show the teeth and he would just he was so good at being an arrogant prick, wasn't he? He's tremendous here. He's really yeah. coming into his own as a as a heel. He's hilarious. And uh he's of course teasing that tonight, regardless of whether or not we want to see his face, Juventud Guerrero is losing his mask, and Chris Jericho is not losing his cruiserweight title. So we go and I tell Jimmy Hart, this is just a, a small little stupid story as Laparka, the chairman of WCW comes out. Uh, just a little story here. I, I told Jimmy, I said, we're going to go to Scomas afterwards and eat. Uh, and uh, he said, okay. So we all went to Scomas, me, Gene, and Jimmy Hart. And we met some other guys there. Um, I think some members of the crew, maybe, or whatever. We were driving on to Sacramento afterwards. So Scomas was still open. And I remember getting there, and Jimmy Hart says, this is all they got is seafood? I don't I don't eat seafood. So he ate a uh, – he ate a uh, – a ground – Steak patty at Scomas. And I remember saying, God damn, Jimmy, what the fuck? This is, I mean, you don't, the Scomas is one of the great restaurants in America and you're eating a hamburger, but that's how Jimmy was. So anyway, that story about nothing, but I just thought I'd share that because it came to my mind, came to my mind, came to my mind. And here comes the disco inferno. <laughs> you know what? You just cannot hide. Arrogant pricks, can you? <laughs> well, here's what's funny to me. Like, Disco Inferno was having fun. Yes, and, he was. And you could tell that even though this is a stupid, silly fucking gimmick, he's having fun. 
And this is a fun match because I don't know that I would have ever thought, and you know what I want on pay-per-view disco inferno versus La Parca, <laughs> but they're, they're two funny fuckers. And this is a fun, yeah. even the cop is like, this is some yeah. silly shit here, man. Yeah. There had somebody <laughs> had Eric Cartman sign there from South park. As we were walking up some very inventive signs at that time, that by the way, is not, uh, Kevin green. Uh, even though Kevin green, they had Kevin greens, uh, Okay, there you see Carl from Sling Blade as the referee. Now, watch this. I don't think that Disco expected this to happen, but he is going to take a step and throw the chair right at him, which I thought was a great way to jumpstart this match. Look at that. See that? <laughs> Disco said, whoa, here comes a fucking chair. And now the match gets started. And Carl calls the bell. Ring a bell. And in the corner, here comes the parka. Eh, shitty move to start things out with there. But not all moves can be great. Wouldn't you agree, Conrad? Well, you know, I mean, there's major miscommunications in the start of this, but right. Laparka is playing to the crowd in a big way. And he's, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he's trying to, uh, you know, get what he can out of the match. And I've always enjoyed watching Laparka wrestle. And I, I don't think I'm in the minority there. I think most of our listeners enjoyed Laparka. Oh, I did too. Uh, and he was, as Mike Tanay, you say, one of the biggest luchadors, Tony, that we have seen. And look at that power slam by Glenn Gilbert. Here's a cover one, two. You know, I was on uh, Keeping It 100 with Conan and uh, and the Disco Inferno recently on their podcast. Yeah. And you, you may be uh, interested to know or even not surprised to find out that uh, on, the, on that podcast, Glenn Gilberti caught as much shit from Conan that he would used to catch back in the days when he was wrestling. Uh, so <laughs> it was kind of funny being with them. It's a great bod- podcast. They do a great job. Conan is one of the great mega stars, uh, ever. And, uh, you know, you, you can't deny what the disco Inferno meant to wrestling and how much he loved it as well. And he's living out in Las Vegas. We understand right now, uh, what he does for a living. I don't know. Maybe he just gambles. Oh, there is a, uh, corkscrew plancha. Well, um, my, let me just freestyle that. I do know what disco does and what does he do? Uh, I would like to, I, I think you and I should go visit him. I think you'd have a great time. No, he works at the ballet, the shoe, uh, the shoe show, the, sh- the what? The shoe the show, sh- the shoe. I don't, I'm not familiar with the shoe show The ballet. Right. at the ballet. Yeah. Oh, come on. Bullshit. Tony. He <laughs> Is there a double meaning here to what you're saying? He works at Sapphire's Gentleman's Club. Okay. See, I knew that. The shoe show. The the shoe show. Okay. Uh, Okay. He works at a strip club. Well, see, that's just crass. I wouldn't wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm I'm told that the strip clubs in, uh, not that I know, uh, but I'm told that the strip clubs in Las Vegas are pretty high rent, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I was once told that... uh, Uh, this bar had so many girls working that you would only see the same set. If they had the same doctor. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pick up in the car. All right. Let me ask you this as we are uh, kind of freestyling here, uh, through this great matchup, uh, is Glenn a bouncer? Is he the, uh, guy at the door? I think he's is- like a host. So, okay. okay. You know, if you're looking to spend money or you're looking for, uh, a certain type of party atmosphere, uh, he can help you make those arrangements. Yeah. Um, here's a cover one, two, you know, Hey, Conrad, I love you. I really do. But the last thing I would want to do in my life is go with you to Las Vegas. I would, 
I would be, you would, you know, I'm going, me. I'm going with Bruce this weekend. Okay. I would be in Vegas this weekend. Oh yeah. Okay. For, uh, the, uh, the chamber thing match the, uh, well, we're yeah. not going to that. We're going to house of blues inside Mandalay Bay and you can pick up uh-huh. tickets right now at not uh, Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to be doing a basketball game. I think at Tennessee, so yeah. you could be in Knoxville or you yeah. could be in Vegas. Yeah. Well, I, listen. If I would be in Vegas with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson, uh, I have prided myself because uh, prided myself of staying away with maybe one glass of wine now and then, staying away from alcohol. I would just get in so much trouble. <laughs> that's what I was going to say because yeah, I've heard be, you were actually in Vegas with Bruce once before. That's that's a lie. And there was uh, a, there was a hot tag involved. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Uh, Bruce is Bruce, much like you, is full of shit. As a matter of fact. When I found out that something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, uh, was a podcast. And then I found out it was with you. I, I remember saying, well, the name of this podcast should be just full of shit with Bruce and Conrad. Well, uh, and, and in our podcast here is I don't remember shit with Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. <laughs> oh, so you get a little defensive here. Right? No, Here's saying- a cover. Wait a minute. Here's a cover. One, two, uh, two count. I just think I'm it's sorry. funny that, you know, some people are like, Bruce is so full of shit. And I'm like, well, Tony can't remember shit. So it's <laughs> full of shit and can't remember shit that you, yeah. you uh, this, this idea we pitched off screen, uh, off screen, off uh, mic <laughs> a couple of weeks ago where I said, here's what we need to do. We need to film a reality show yeah. with Tony Schiavone and Bruce Pritchard living in the same household. That's the real yeah. legends house. People want to want to hear because this yeah. would be like grumpy old men. <laughs> the wrestling version. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I want to say something about uh, there's a, uh, we go to, uh, we do MLW uh, tapings once a month now uh, out at uh, the guilt in Orlando. And there is a uh, fan who dresses up as La Parca every show. Uh, and I can't remember what his name was, but I think it was uh, Papa Luchador that he calls himself or Grandpapa Luchador. And he said, mention my name on your podcast. When Lepark is, so there you go. There's a little tip of the cap to him. And I know I got the name wrong, but the fact is that he dresses up like Lepark. He has the, the same mask and the same hood over the top. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's spectacular. He stands out. You should see these shows. If you'd like to hear Tony call current wrestling, man, it's something to see. MLW.TV is where you can check it out. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, since we've got a minute here during this Lepark match is you guys ran a nitro in the Alamo dome. And of course that's in San Antonio and allegedly mm. Jose Lothario shows up at those tapings and brings his son, Pete Lothario to try to get mm. a uh, dark match for a tryout. And mm. he works with Scotty Riggs. But the reason I bring this up is allegedly Jose, while he's there, is trying to get a job as a member of the Spanish language broadcasting team. Mm. A couple of years prior to this. He was a critical part of Shawn Michaels storyline in 1996. And now here he is in 1998 trying to get hired on with WCW. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Uh, but we had in place and, and I know what Jose Lothario meant, but we had in place a very good Spanish broadcast team at that time. One being Pedro Morales. Uh, look at this. Oh, and the other being, and I'll, I'll, <laughs> Tony Schiavone can't remember shit. I'll, I'll think of his name right here in a minute. One of the great guys who used to be the play-by-play, the Spanish play-by-play guy for the Dodgers, a two count, uh, Miguel Alonso. That's who it was. 
Miguel Alonso and uh, Pedro Morales, was, they were our Spanish broadcast team, so we had plenty. Now, you could say, well, couldn't you do a third voice? It wouldn't Jose Lothario meant something? Well, maybe so. But I guess Eric thought not. And it was Eric Cook call on that. What have you read about it? Anything else? No, that's it. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention, especially since there is a fan sitting front row wearing his jersey that you've pointed out a couple of times, Kevin Green mm -hmm. had just been released by the San Francisco 49ers due to a uh, salary cap issue. Yeah. And Green was sort of hinting that he might retire from football in order to become a full time pro wrestler. Yeah. Mark Madden has taken a little bit of credit for helping get Kevin into WCW in 95. And at the time green was playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which makes sense since Mark is from Pittsburgh. Yeah. But Mark said, since he's not really a big fan of Kevin green, what'd you think of Kevin green? What was your experience like working with him? Love Kevin green. Kevin green was as willing to do anything as any cross superstar that we had. In other words, he was the type of guy that, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. Absolutely. I, I, we all thought that Kevin green was one of the greats. Now, you know, we had him wrestle with Reggie White, of course, and the, the late Reggie White was a great guy. We absolutely loved Kevin Green. I, I don't know anybody backstage. If they did, they didn't tell me uh, that didn't like Kevin Green. Let's talk about plus. Go ahead. Plus, he was, he was uh, here's a cover one, two, on a personal level. Uh, you know, there's sometimes I would bring my kids backstage, and I know you've met Chris and uh, – you met uh, Matt. Uh, we'll bring my kids backstage who were young at this time. He was so nice to my family. Uh, and that means a lot to me. I actually met Kevin Green uh, here in either 1997 or 1998. Yeah. Uh, my parents and I were traveling from a family reunion and we stopped uh, off the interstate and at, ate lunch at a Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And I'm wearing an NWO shirt. And all of a sudden, I feel someone push me from behind. <laughs> and I turn around and it's Kevin green and he's cutting a full on wrestling promo and it's the coolest thing that ever happened. And then of course, you know, the smile and the laugh and the hug and let's take a picture. So somewhere my yeah. parents have a picture of me in an NWO t-shirt yeah. meeting, uh, Kevin green at a fucking cracker barrel. Cool guy. Wasn't he? Super absolutely cool. cool. Super yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorites. And I think, is he still a coach of the green Bay Packers? He may be. Uh, one of their coaches, I'm not sure, but I I'm glad to see that he was still in the NFL. Uh, we're having a pretty good match. What did uh, what did uh, Dave uh, here one two uh, know it all Meltzer uh, give this match? <laughs> well, he uh, here's what he wrote: They go 11 minutes 41 seconds. This was a weird match in that the match work itself was good, but the crowd sees these two as Nitro undercard wrestlers and was bored right. with them in about three minutes. After right. that point, there are boring chants while they're doing high spots. Uh, Parker threw a chair at him at the bell and later hit a corkscrew tope. He did lots of dancing okay. when the crowd wouldn't react to it. And he did funny mannerisms, making fun of the audience. After a lot of yep. struggling, Disco slams Parker off the top rope and he crashes into the chair yep. and then Disco hit the chart buster for the finish. Naturally, yep. the finish being Steve Austin's move got a huge pop two and a quarter stars. He liked it better. Mm. Then Booker T's match. <laughs> well, of course, because there's a luchador in there. Uh, this, <laughs> you know, and the only thing we needed to have this thing at the Tokyo Dome, he would have given it 10 stars. Oh, he doesn't go that high, does he? Now, here's the uh, the struggling. This is a real shitty spot we got coming up here because there, <laughs> I put your leg over here and put your leg over here. And he's going to superplex him on the chair is the question. Well, 
He doesn't. Leparka ends up falling face first on the chair, but it's because the chair is so far out, it becomes a real lousy spot here. I don't know if anybody bought this or not. Uh, Kevin Green most recently was an outside linebacker coach for the Jets. Oh, the Jets. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. The goddamn Jets. <laughs> okay. Uh, and there's a, there's that shitty thing. And, but here comes the, uh, there it is. Boom. The chart buster. One, two, three, and disco wins and they react to it. Good reaction. I think they may be reacting to just the fact that, uh, the match is over. Thank God. Next. Uh, and, uh, there we see a luchador in the stands as well. Did you notice how the, and I don't, I don't get this. Maybe it was a San Francisco fans, uh, fan thing, but did you notice how many birds were popped in the audience? Yeah. It, and I think the reason is because stone cold, Steve Austin is doing it every eight seconds on raw. There you go. Exactly. And and that's exactly what's going on. But, uh, there, every time we would take a shot at the fans, everybody, yeah, here's a bird. Woo -woo. Yeah. So, um. So this match is over, thank God. Uh, uh, if we could, during this uh, replay here, uh, a little uh, critique on the announcers. Uh, I thought Heenan was very, very funny here. Uh, I thought I was lousy. I, I, I was really into full uh, history of our great sport mode here. And uh, just terrible. I thought, I thought the voice quality and my excitement level was good. But I thought that I came across as an overselling arrogant prick here. That Stone Cold Stunner is a fucking cool finish, is it not? Yes, yes, it is. And you know, Glenn did a good job with it. You got to be able to. It's a cool finish, but unless you can really put it on, it's like anything else. It could be the shits, but it's great. And your winner, the Disco Inferno. So you and Bruce are going to Vegas this weekend. We are. And I think it's time that, uh, mean Gene Okerlund mm. took over for us here. All right. Do your thing. All right. Yeah. We're here with James J. Dillon. JJ, we just, uh, woke you up from uh, your uh, two hour nap in the back. Want to talk a little bit about, uh, the uh, referee assignments. Now we know that Nick Patrick has been a fuck up. That's okay. Because you're a fuck up as well. Now we got two fuck ups here. You and Nick Patrick. We want to know, JJ, what in the world are you going to do about all these fuck-ups here? Tell us, JJ, what you're going to do. Uh, well, what's your name I'll, again? I'll tell you this. I, uh, I've got Rich Bokini here, and we're going to ramble on for about an hour about absolutely nothing. I, I'm not really sure what I'm even saying. I start a sentence, and by the time I get to the end, I don't remember what we were talking about. Woo. But I, I want to tell you that Kenny Powers is going to be reinstated I mean, Nick Patrick is going to be reinstated with this glorious mullet to become a full-time WCW referee. We took a vote and, uh, he's back. I'm not sure who all's here, but Tony isn't either. Well, uh, well, I just learned that Jody Hamilton's my dad. Really? Oh, you mean I'm a second generation wrestling star? Let me tell you something. If Jody Hamilton was here and we all know he's in the back. He will come out and kick your old lazy ass. Kick it. And I'm going to let me say this to all the thousands of fans. Okay, we fucked up the finish of Starcade. I understand. I was supposed to make a th quick three count. Didn't happen. But we fucked up the finish because Hogan told us to fuck up the finish. So to all the fans out there, a very happy moment. I'm back. I find out that Jody Hamilton is my father. 
and I look like Kenny Powers. Oh, oh, oh hold on. Uh, Rich Bokini, who is my partner, who is only two foot two, as we know, uh, is in this picture, but he's not in the framing because he's so short that he doesn't make it to this framing here. But I do want to say that thank you for being here and tell your dad I said, go fuck himself. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Tell your dad to go fuck himself. What? Does he know who my dad is? My dad is the mask assassin. Motherfucker, I don't give a fuck who he is. He's the mask assassin, you sawed-off little ball-headed prick. That's exactly what my, But wait, uh, I'm going to go in the back. I'm going to go take a shit, and I'll be right back. All right, there you have it. We accomplished absolutely nothing on this two-minute thing. Uh, let's go back to the ring and Mr. Oversell himself, Tony Schiavone. Thanks, sweet Gene. That's the biggest, greatest in the history of our great sport. Put butts in the seats. Motherfucker, let's go back to the ring. Here's what's funny to me. In the interview that Nick Patrick does, which is one of the only times Nick Patrick had to do an interview, he says, I appreciate all you fans who stuck by me. Yeah. Stuck, <laughs> he said, stuck, stuck by me. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's South Georgian. That, that's Joe. That's that's down uh, around uh, uh, the part of uh, Atlanta he lives in. I South think it's Atlanta. if if stuck and stood had a baby, it would yeah. be stuck by me. <laughs> stuck by me. Now here's what's great to me: Brad Armstrong uh, is out here wearing an airbrush shirt straight out of Panama City that says Armstrong <laughs> Curse. Yeah, <laughs> and you had hyped it up um, coming right before the the promo there to me, Gene. You said. And we have got a special surprise match coming to you fans that is literally going to explode the cow palace. Wow. Huh? Didn't overhype that shit. Literally explode. (laughs) And, uh, well, of course Uh we see uh, Armstrong come out and Bobby Heenan says, now fans, just so you know, we didn't think the building was going to explode when Armstrong came to the ring. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the, the Heenan was really on his game that night. Was really his fucking chair was higher than mine. That's all right. Uh, nothing I could do about it now. Uh, but uh, here comes Goldberg to the ring, and you know basically we're going to have an enhancement match here for Bill Goldberg. Which again, look, I love Brad Armstrong. He can do a lot of things. He played a great heel here to Goldberg. Really did a good job of putting Goldberg over. Uh, but I don't like enhancement matches during pay per views. They're only going to go two minutes and 23 seconds. Meltzer would write Goldberg added an overhead front suplex to his arsenal. Armstrong used his Russian leg sweep finisher, which Goldberg no sold before going to the finish. It was what it needed to be one mm-hmm. star. Wade killer would write about this and say that Goldberg is going to be promoted by WCW. Like the WWF promoted the ultimate warrior with mostly short matches that don't expose his shortcomings and limitations. And, uh, he says Goldberg is still suffering from a hamstring injury that he suffered originally back in his football days, but there is great anticipation over what Goldberg's merchandise sales will be. So even though we talked about how much merch they sold at this show, that's before Goldberg had a single piece of merchandise, but you guys already knew that you had a big star in right. Goldberg at this point. Yeah. And let, let me say this in response. Oh, good God. I'm going to broke his neck right there. Let me say this in response to what Wade Keller Sad and what you just mentioned. Uh, we had Goldberg do short matches, not necess- not necessarily to expose what he couldn't do, but we wanted him to have short matches to have him come across as this crate that this guy that just couldn't be beat. I mean, you have short matches 
and he has short wins because he is just an incredible athletic specimen. That helps get him over. A longer match is not going to do anybody any good, but a short match, beating up a guy like Brad Armstrong is going to do him a lot of good. Uh, but I, I thought that that Goldberg was – there a lot of facial contortions here that I thought took away from what he was. I mean, he's a badass. We understand that. When he has this finish, I mean, he just, uh, you know, cranes his neck. and I mean, he had big traps, yeah, and he made sure that you knew it. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, he just uh, – there he's giving Brad a little bit of stuff. Brad goes to the eyes. Here's his Russian leg sweep. Brad Armstrong wasn't the goddamn candy man here. Whoa, in the midsection. And wasn't the Rachna man here. But how about this? Pump handle pickup. Whoa. And now see Goldberg here. Look at, man, he is looking spectacular. It's time for the spear. Which looked legit because it yep. fucking was. Yeah, and it looked legit because Brad knew how to take it. You watch the replay, it uh, it was legit, but also Brad was very good. Is Brad Armstrong At, one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time? Maybe the most underrated wrestler of all time. And there's the jackhammer, and it was over so far, one, two, three. Now here's where Goldberg, uh, see that? Yeah, okay, I get it. I understand. Stay, I mean, stay cool, man. It's, a favorite. it's like, it's like Klondike, Klondike Bill when he files a pair of parking lot panties, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the, uh, the dish network or direct TV thing that he does commercial? Yes. Yes. You know, I, think I, it's pretty I heard, uh, recently that. During the, when they shot that commercial, <laughs> <laughs> why are you laughing? I just, I know you too well. Go ahead. Oh, and he, he killed four stuntmen <laughs> accidentally. I mean, it wasn't on purpose or anything. They forgave him. Yeah. And almost, and almost hurt Michael B. Jordan as well. And he punched, uh, uh that window and, uh, <laughs> hit an artery in his arm. <laughs> Seriously. One, two, three. And there's your winner. Bill Goldberg. Mm. One of the greats of the University of Georgia. You know, they used to, uh, back in the day when he played at UGA, they had tons of fights during practice, and he almost always was the instigator. No, I believe it. I mean, this is yeah. a guy who uh, tried to choke out nothing happened to Evan Courageous before Nitro just for not yeah. looking at him the right way. Yeah, and and we were all behind that one. Uh, and some of us were. All right, Super Raw continues. Hey, great to have you with us on What Happened When. And a little hoovy juice here. Hooventud Guerrera. We're going to find out here, Conrad, again, uh, that when he is unmasked in this match. Let me just go ahead and steal your thunder here. He's a damn good-looking uh, man. you damn right he is. Absolutely he is. Now, you can't – and we didn't put it over, but, you know – he could have had pock marks on his face or these blemishes or whatever, but he's a very, very handsome man here. And, uh, and so I, and I understand the, uh, you know, uh, his father and the history of being the mask or whatever, but I, I think Juventud Guerrero without the mask worked quite well. Now you need to smarten me up on this. Was this one of these deals where Bischoff in all his glory and, and trying to really, you know, be the boss of the company, 
told Juventud, take off the mask or you're fired yep. type deal. He's forced to wow. take it off. Doesn't want to let's talk about Jericho for a minute though. Here Jericho's recently <laughs> turned heel and he's so fucking entertaining. He comes out and there's a fan who has a, I'm a Jericho holic, uh, poster yeah. and Jericho stomps right over to him. Starts to starts to baby face the guy and then steals the sign, tears it up. Uh, it's just awesome. I love this heel Jericho. He's having a great time here. You can tell at this point, it's probably the most fun he's had in his career. Cause he was so over the white meat baby face bullshit where he would come out and put his back against the guardrail saying, come on guys. Yeah. <laughs> now he's actually getting to be a shit heel and he's loving every minute of it. Yeah. And not only that, he was so creative in the things that he would do. Now we, we saw the shirt with his face on. I understand you're going to see him wrestle with the belt on here. That's just, that's just Jericho being creative. And of course, you know, he did a lot of interviews with me where I, he would have me hold his signs. He brought in Ralphus guys back then. And they, it may not be this now because it looks like to me when you watch now raw or uh, SmackDown, that everything is so controlled. Everything is so scripted and you can't do anything without, without Vince telling you what to do. Uh, back then, if you had ideas on your character to make it better, they let you do it. And I thought that was always very cool. And, and Jericho was just like that. And the more creative and the more time and the more effort you put in your character and your gimmick, the more over you were, I thought. A guy like Jericho. Look at this. See? He's 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 having a uh, conniption here. And he created uh, the hysteria from the fans. Like, the, the fans were sort of settled down and him just reacting to them, even though there's nothing really to react to. He did enough of it to where yeah. he got the fans into it again. And it really is a masterful job. And. Jericho's going to go on to have, you know, one of the the best careers in the history of wrestling. I mean, it's yeah. still going now, but I think you could really look towards the end of 97, very early 98, when he starts to evolve into this character as really being the springboard that made him a star that the WWF took notice of and gave him an opportunity to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling on the other channel. I agree. And, but I also need to say this with the exception of what I've seen lately. And I saw the, uh, I saw his recent angle of the match they had in Japan. I, I, you know, I, as you know, I lost touch with wrestling. Uh, and I wanted to, uh, after we lost, after we went out of business in 2001, I did not see anything that Jericho did in the WWE. Right. So I, I'm unfamiliar with wh how big a star, what he turned into. And I feel bad about that because I look at this guy now and I knew that we had something really, really good. Uh, and, uh, I'm certainly glad he was able to further his career. You guys went out in March of 01 and in December of 01, he beat the rock and stone cold in the same night to win the WCW world title and the WWF world title and unify them for the very first time. And that's sort of his claim to fame. And the next go. year he headlined WrestleMania against, um, triple H for the belt. Most people would argue that Hogan rock was the main event and they would be correct. But Jericho went on last in a world title match against Triple H, which, you know, going on last at WrestleMania as the champion, it's got to be what everybody who gets in the business hopes to do one day. There's no question. And that's great because I've always liked Jericho. Uh, and I, and I, li I like Jericho for a number of reasons. Uh, selfishly, because uh, he let me be a part of some of his angles, holding the signs, making my facials, you know, mispronouncing my name. 
Uh, I liked all that. Look at that, man. What a scary move that was. If oh. you haven't seen this match, you should go watch it. It's historic because Hoobie's going to lose the mask, lose the mask, but doing a, uh, springboard head scissors to the floor. Yeah. I said that, right. That's mm. quite the combination. I want to follow up to something you said a minute ago, by the way, how great is Jericho teasing? I'm hurt. I'm not hurt. And looking yeah. around, seeing if he was no, paying no. attention. It's great stuff. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's Jericho coming up with some shit. You know, I'm I'm going to I'm not going to credit the bookers with everything. I'm going to credit guys with everything. You know, uh, uh, a friend of mine in this business who I've talked to recently, who has his own podcast, Dirty Dutch Mantel. Uh, you know, Dirt, uh, Dirt Man and I talked a lot, and he's the one that sold me on the fact that if you put a lot of time and effort in your character, you're going to get more out of it, and the bookers or booker is going to notice you, and going to put you in some top spots. And this, these are things that Jericho came up with, and that's why Jericho became the star that he was. It's worth mentioning, the reason Jericho was playing possum on the outside is he's trying to keep his, his world title, his cruiserweight right. belt. And he understands, if I get counted out, I can't lose the belt that way. So he kept yeah. teasing, hey, look, I'm not really hurt. I'm just not getting up. And he right. did it three times before Hoovy realized, oh, shit, I'm supposed to drag him in. Because if you think about it logically, if you're a champion, wouldn't you want to get counted out to keep the title? Absolutely. Sure. And that's something that we didn't bring up probably enough and something that he just highlighted right there. Wow. Missile drop kick from the top of springboard from the boy. I'm just, man, I'm just in full wrestling mode here from the turnbuckles. It's worth mentioning. Hooventude has Hoovy forever on his tights here because he knows he's going to be losing his mass. Let's tell you what was written in the observer. Jericho retains the cruiserweight title, winning the mask of Hooven to Guerrero in about 13 and a half minutes. Guerrero, who was really upset about losing his mask under these circumstances, wore Hoovy forever on his tights, and this was easily the best match on the show. The two went back and forth with great near falls and reversals, the highlight being when Guerrero reversed Jericho's lion tamer into a front cradle. Eventually, Guerrero goes for Hurricane Rana, but Jericho catches him in midair and turns it into a lion tamer for the submission. Guerrero, Guerrero unmasked, and there was a noticeable female pop when his mask came off. But unlike in Mexico, the unmasking really wasn't emphasized at all, nor did he mention his real name and reveal his identity. The reason Guerrero at first kept his hair in front of his face was because when he unmasked, he was trying to hide the fact that he was crying particularly when he said how much he loved his father, since this is a really big deal to him and his family, even though WCW doesn't give a rat's ass about wrestling or family tradition anywhere else, three and three quarter stars is what Dave gave it. Yeah. I, I hate to say that I <clears throat> agree with everything that Meltzer said, but, but I agree. Uh, we should have given a rat's ass about Lucha Libre. We should have, uh, we could have, we could have done such great business. In Mexico, don't you think? I do, and we, especially yeah. you've got a guy like this. And in, in, in reality, Rey Mysterio was the top luchador. He was the guy that everybody knew was the biggest star, and they wanted to unmask him. It hasn't happened yet. So because Bischoff can't get the mask off him, he takes it off Hooventude. And apparently, you know, the pecking order is such where Hoovy didn't feel like he had the juice, pardon the pun, to say right. no. And right. Mysterio did. So Mysterio gets lawyers involved and is willing to deal with whatever the political backlash may have been from saying no. Hooventude, on the other hand, makes a living wrestling 
and wants to continue to do so. And if that's what he's got to do, that's what he'll do. But he's certainly doing it, you know, with protest here and you can see who, and he almost never speaks on camera. He makes sure when he's taking the mask off, he gets right in front of the camera and he says, I love you. You can make that out very clearly. Allegedly, that's a message back to his dad watching at home because he didn't really want to do this. They didn't really want to do it, but he he felt like it was what was best for his family to just toe the company line. Yeah. And and you know, and I understand that him being a, a, a company guy or him being a guy that, but as we move forward after this, Hoovy had some. Had some a pretty good little push, I thought. Yeah, I've and, always been a fan of his, and, and I, he yeah. goes on to have really good stuff. But it does make you wonder, you know, could this have been a bigger money play? Now, by comparison, if he had worn the mask longer, because obviously the longer you go masked in Mexico, the more it means. And guys have made hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single match in order to lose that mask. It's a significant payday, and I'm just stepping out on a limb here. He did not make hundreds of thousands of dollars for this match. Yeah. Right. No, you're, you're, you're right. And look, uh, uh, another thing, it would have behooved us as a company to learn more about Mexican wrestling and to, to respect it more and uh, to try to, instead of us saying, well, we're WCW, you tow the fucking line with us. What we say goes the hell with what happens South of Harlingen, Texas and, and Dave Silva. Then, uh, it would have behooved us to say, you know, we respect that and let's try to make it work here in the United States. But we didn't do that. And that's, a, that was a mistake. I feel like I should mention too, this is the same month. I believe that Eddie Guerrero goes to Eric Bischoff, trying to get a release from his contract and Eric turns him down and snaps at him. And allegedly, depending on who you believe throws coffee and some gets on Eddie Guerrero. Now Bischoff would say, no, I didn't throw the coffee at him. I threw it down and some got on him. Mm-hmm. The story turned into Eric Bischoff threw hot coffee on Eddie Guerrero. Do you remember hearing yeah. this story? Yeah, he didn't throw coffee on Eddie. Eric's right. He threw it down uh, and it got on Eddie. You witnessed this? Did not witness it, no. But that's what I believe from talking to, to Eric. So it, it's sort of um, Eric Bischoff maybe sort of putting his foot down, uh, yeah. with, you know, Ray Mysterio trying to protest and, and not wanting to unmask and, and trying to get agents and lawyers involved. And yeah. then Guerrero's asking for a release. And now it's like, fuck it. I'm taking the mask off Hoovy. Yeah. Well, yes, exactly. The, uh, the throwing the cup down and getting hot. Wow. Air Hoovy getting hot coffee on or coffee on uh, Eddie Guerrero was a reaction not only to all of this, but Eric had a lot of pressure and the company was kind of slipping away from him at that time. And it, it's, it's silly to say that in the height of our popularity that a company was slipping away from him, he just had so much on his plate. And he, uh, wow, uh, how do I say this? He, uh, I, I want to do this, see this 450 here first, because this is a key moment of the match where Hoovy going to connect with the 450. And I thought Mickey J did a great job of seeing the, here's a cover one, two, and Mickey did a great job of see that perfectly done by Mickey J, uh, seeing the, uh, the hand on the rope 
And Hoovy thought he won it. Uh, the, and uh, he said, no, restart the match. Uh, so I thought this was pretty cool. Very, very cool. Nope. Two count. Hand on the rope. Two count. Hand on the rope. I'm sorry. No. I saw you do one, two, three. No. Hand on the rope. Please. I got to go back and have a cigarette. And and then Jericho, you know, as the cheater that he is, would catch him in the back of the knee. <clears throat> Eric had a lot of people, uh, me being one of them, in the backstage area that he could have counted on, but he didn't. Uh, and uh, I just think that the pressure of running the company at times got to him because he had to, because he was a performer. Uh, he had to deal with the politics backstage, namely, you know, Hogan and all that stuff, and had to deal with a lot of people who were uh, who were not good at what they were doing and uh, helped fuck the company over. When Eric came back, great move by Juventud Guerrero. When, it, when Eric came back uh, and had that last run, you know, uh, with, and I, you can help me, uh, the, Vince Russo was there, and he and Vince were now going to kind of run the company. Right. I, I talked to Eric. I was in Vancouver, and he, he and I talked on the phone. And he said, you know what? He said, uh, one of the things that I did wrong was put stock in a lot of people who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Uh, and I thought things would change, and they kind of really didn't. But when Eric first came back, I thought, man, we're going to do some good business now. But it was unsalvageable by then. These so guys that was are having a, a hell of a match here. Yes, I can't yes, recommend this enough. I mean, it's one crazy move that we can't really call after another. And I know that a lot of people enjoy our podcast with us just sort of painting word pictures. And then I really watch it on the network, but you should go out of your way to watch this one. In my opinion. Absolutely. Pick up and a front suplex from Chris Jericho. I want to mention here, Tony, that the business is so hot that you guys actually sold a hundred thousand copies of your new video game in the first week, uh, when the disc came out at the end of 1997. So when that game first came out a hundred thousand buys in the first week, that's big business. You're not kidding. It's big business. And if I'm correct, and I think I am, uh, it was an EA sports video, uh, and they flew me to Vancouver periodically, uh, to voice over the, uh, video games. And, uh, look at that. Look at this finishing maneuver. Hoovy tried to go up and caught by Jericho in the lion tamer. And yes, he is good camera shot of saying yes, yes, yes. He tapped out and Chris Jericho wins it. And now we're going to see Hooventude uh, unmasked. So anyway, uh, was doing big business and I got a little good chunk of money from that, uh, which helped out a great deal. And it was unexpected. One day I just got a check. Here, here's a check. They handed it to me. And I opened it up. I went, holy shit. It was more money than my first check from uh, video games was more money than I made in my first year of doing minor league baseball the entire year. Wow. Yeah. Just shows you how shitty my pay was in minor league baseball the first year. That's what the wow uh, was about. That wow, baseball didn't pay shit. Uh, <laughs> you're right. And still doesn't, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've got to supplement it with podcasts and MLW and Georgia Bulldogs and all that stuff. And now here is Jericho. Uh, Thanks to all you Jericho-holics. I'm still the champ. Yeah. And I dedicate this win to all of you 
I mean, it, it's, it's pretty fun that yeah. he's enjoying this heel persona so much. And Hooventude is distraught, steps out of the rings on the apron and, uh, Jericho's goading him. Come on, Hoovy, take off your mask, bro. Yeah. And here you go. So, uh, we're going to see him say, I love you, I guess, right into the camera. Got a great camera shot here. So Jericho's calling him Quasimodo yeah. and, um, Bobby Heenan is saying, isn't it going to be something if that's mean gene under there? <laughs> it's one of Heenan's best shows. Jericho really saying, close your eyes. He's so ugly. You don't have to stay and watch this. If you don't want to, you can leave. Here comes the, I love you. And he's got the mask ready to be taken off, but he doesn't want to do it. Jericho's going to come over, snatch it off. And there's your big reveal. Now there's a good looking young man. Wouldn't you say handsome? It's unbelievable. that This is the payoff here. Handsome. Very good looking. Not uh, the late Tom Zink, good looking, probably not as cute as Ray Mysterio jr. Mm. Uh, but very handsome, very handsome. I mean, you could you get a man crush on him. Couldn't you Conrad? Bobby Heenan says, you know, the downside is now when he's delivering pizza, everybody's going to know it's him <laughs> again, Heenan. It's worth going back and listening to this once again, let's take a look at the replay. Uh, and uh, this is uh, Air Hoovy going up top. Great job. Great job by uh, uh, Jericho to catch him as well to uh, help with the fall. Now, here's the uh, here's the false finish, the 450. Uh, great camera shot. Look at Mickey J. One, two, and as he goes down for three, he sees the, the hand. So there you go. Uh, great false finish. And now here is the uh, end of the line tamer. Hooven 2 is going to go up. Oh, try to get him over, and he hooks it. Great finish. Meltzer's right. Tremendous match with two great guys. Unbeknownst to us, I'm sure Tanae knew it because Tanae followed Lucha Libre a lot more than I did. Uh, unbeknownst to us, this was quite a moment, an important moment in the uh, career of Juventud Guerrero, and I'm sure we didn't uh, do a good job of selling how important it was. But if it didn't mean that much to our boss, Eric Bischoff, then why would it mean too much? Boy, he's a nice-looking young man. Big eyes, great features. Uh, good-looking. Is he still wrestling? You know? Yeah, he is, yeah. Good. Good for him. Got the mask back on, I hope. You know, when you weren't watching in WCW, um, yeah. he had a trio, and they would uh, mm. drive to the ring on John Deere lawnmowers. What? Yeah, and they called themselves the Mexicools. <laughs> On John Deere lawnmowers. Yep. Okay, this was a Vince McMahon thing? Yep. Okay, do they also come with blowers and blow the leaves out of your yard? What kind of racist bullshit was this that the uh, that the WWE perpetrated? Good God. How do they get away with this? I was just how do they get away? I mean, <laughs> when you're saying how do they get away with this, are you asking how do they get away with putting Steve Mongo McMichael against uh, <laughs> the British Bulldog on a pay per view? <laughs> well, yes, I guess we can move on for this. How do they John, get away with this? John Deere fucking tractors. <laughs> what the fuck? I knew. Here they come, and after this match, they'll do your lawn too. Early, what type of bullshit is that? That's the idea. 
Oh God. This match is going to get a dud. Davy boy Smith is going to be in here and he's going to get a win in six minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah. And legitimately Mongo's working the match here with a broken wrist. Right. And to explain the injury, they do this match where McMichael punches the ring post and Davy boy smashes the hand on the steps and guardrail before putting a wrist lock on it. And the referee, Scott Dickinson is saying, Hey, you're going to need to go ahead and give up or he's going to break this thing. Mm-hmm. So he calls the finish, even though Mongo never gives up and Mongo's furious as mm. we all are, because this match got a dud rating as well. Yeah. as should. Yeah. Hey, it wasn't a good, it was a dud. I understand that. Uh, I don't think the British bulldog, I was surprised. I was really surprised that he didn't get a better reaction from the fans when he came out, uh, during this match because of, you know, of what he had been to the WWF back then. Yeah, it was a dud, but I thought the two guys for what they could do or couldn't do here did a pretty good storyline with the broken wrist. And there are some people, some idiots out there that good drop to hold that feel that Mongo actually broke his hand in this match. Ah, thank you very much. It was broken beforehand. Um, but they did a very good job of, of working this. And, and you know what? Mongo is, uh, there you can see he's favoring that right wrist right now on that tilt to world slam. Uh, Mongo's, I look, I know he's, you know, we got a, the guy does our music, talented guy, Matt Coon. I know he's Matt Coon's favorite wrestler. And I know he and Matt Coon stay in contact now. Uh, and talk to each other uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, and I know a lot of people don't like him as a wrestler, but, you know, he was a legitimately tough son of a bitch, right? Yeah, and he's fucking Badass. hilarious, by the way. <laughs> hilarious? He is. He's hilarious. We had him on the Ric Flair show, Yeah, and uh, there are so yeah. many good one-liners in there. Whenever uh, he's referring to Deborah, he would say that she was on scholarship which I just thought was hilarious. I mean, there's so many good Mongo one-liners. One of the, one of the, uh, not so good (laughs) ideas though, was the news that came out in the dirt sheets that the British bulldog and his wife, Diana are going to be releasing a workout video soon called British bulldogs, basic body workout. I don't know that that ever came out. Um, Never saw that. Yeah. I don't think anybody else did either. I should also mention that the bulldog recently came out and made a save for Jim, the Anvil Neidhart, when Scott Hall was wrestling him, uh, Louis Spicoli had come down to distract Jim Neidhart and Hall and Spicoli kept up on him until the bulldog made the save. Yeah. It's a pretty sad situation there because literally one week prior to this, Louis Spicoli passed away. What was the, um, what's the reaction from the company when they hear that a young guy like Louis Spicoli, who many thought had a bright future in the business and was just getting started, passed away. Well, I don't know what the company reaction was, but for most of us, I hate to say this, but we kind of saw it coming. Right. Because we knew he had a very severe drug problem. Uh, maybe not necessarily saw death coming, but we saw rehab coming and saw that if he was going to uh, really be the star that he could be, then he had to have some sort of intervention or something to help him out. He was supposed to, if I recall, wrestle Zabisco in this match or in this event, or maybe a dark match or something. Uh, and then of course he passed away, but he was really going to be on this card. Uh, he was completely out of control. 
uh, and uh, there had been talk that uh, Chris Farley was his hero. Well, he had the, you know, he was our Chris Farley, and he had the same demise as Chris Farley had in many ways. So we had, we used Spicoli a little bit on Thunder as a commentator with me and Heenan, uh, and it didn't go well. But they gave him a shot. Gave him a shot. So let's talk a little bit about uh, WCW Pro. It was uh, canceled in February by TBS, but was still going to air in syndication. Once upon a time, that was something you helped the company with. What do you remember about TBS canceling Pro? Yeah, well, uh, here's what I remember about it. Thank God. Uh, just a, an, another show that we had. We had to do that. We had to do WCW Pro, which was syndicated. And which was on TBS. We had to do two versions of it because they had to be different. Uh, and so it was just more work for us. Uh, and because now Thunder was in the mix, taking a show away from us, we all thought, oh, thank God, take another one away from us. So, but if you think about it, you know, if you think uh, old school, think about it, right? It's, uh, its roots were Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And that's, that was Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Oh, here's the here's the spot where they uh, break his arm, so to speak. Uh, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. I grew up on it. There was Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling and Worldwide Wrestling, and it became NWA Pro and Worldwide Wrestling. So it was kind of the end of an era on TBS to me. I want to touch on uh, Ron Reese. It comes out in the dirt sheets <laughs> around this time that uh... the Yeti. Okay. Ron Reese looks to be added to Raven's nest, perhaps in the role of an incompetent spokesperson. Reese, <laughs> who is a legit seven, two, two or three yeah. inches taller than the giant had some in the company, not wanting him around because he's so tall. They thought having yeah. someone taller than the giant would hurt his gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. He also smelled bad too, but, uh, an incompetent spokesman would have been great for Ron because Ron was pretty incompetent. Uh, and so that would have probably worked. Uh, I thought if you asked me, that would have been pretty good, right? It would have been a, a real tall, goofy guy with Raven's flock. Okay. Like the big dumbass, uh, you know, from grapes of wrath. Right. I want to talk about a little bit briefly about, um, you guys did like specials where you could listen online mm. and mm. they would run like super house shows in like Boston and Las Vegas and things like that. And you yeah. can actually tune into the website and hear play by play. And they were right. really big cards. And you guys ran one, uh, February 20th. So just a, a few, couple of days prior to this in Las Vegas and on that show, there's a lot going on, but Bret Hart is working with Ric Flair inside of that show and he gets a win. And then he seemingly off TV for a little bit. I mean, mm. he's not on this pay-per-view and let's run through this. The Montreal screw job was the prior November. This is February. The prior month to this, he worked a big time match on pay-per-view against Ric Flair. And now both Brett and Rick are not on TV at all. Brett is allegedly trying to escape the anti-American persona that he had built for himself at the end of his WWF run. And he's trying to present this WCW organization as saying, I escaped a prison and joined a country club when I jumped to WCW, mm -hmm. but he's still not here. He'd been on nitro recently. Um, 
but he's not on the pay-per-view. Right. Why, why isn't Brett on the show? Well, because he worked out a deal, uh, and Eric worked out a deal to where he got uh, plenty of money without having to appear on these big shows. Now, you, the response would be, well, since he's Bret Hart, shouldn't he be on one of these big shows? And the answer is yes. But it's also one of those things to where they work out a deal where if you get on, if you're on a pay-per-view, you're going to get a little bit more money. So it was one of those cost-cutting measures at that time. Right or wrong. Up next, we've got the United States Heavyweight Championship on the line. It's a rematch. Out first, the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. And Chris Benoit is starting to feel like a major star here. You know, he had always been positioned as a guy who was a very talented wrestler. I mean, we've been covering him here on the show, I guess, since 92, 91. Um, but here he is in a primetime match late in the card for the second from the top belt against another guy who's on the rise, Diamond Dallas Page. And this is such an interesting time for WCW because I think a lot of people view 1998 as a year when the WWF took over. But at least at this point, you guys have put on, with I guess the possible exception of Mongo, Mm. one hell of of a card so far. Oh, yeah. We got to, because we got great stars. And again, I will, I will, uh, I do it all the time, and I'll give you my disclaimer here as well. It's very hard for us to watch a Chris Benoit match, right? Uh, because of what has now transpired. Uh, but uh, again, uh, let, let's focus away from that and focus on this guy, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, and uh, the Diamond Cutter, much like Raise the Roof, is a pretty cool signature hand gesture that fans are into. Uh, and he's also got the look, you know, you know, Paige also had that look at get out of my way. Uh, he had a couple of things going for him. I thought, uh, he had the hand gesture. He had that serious look going to the ring as if to say, you know, you may think this is bullshit guys, but it ain't bullshit with me. And then of course he had that exit that he had through the stands, which I always thought was very cool. And here in 1998, 60 year old Charles Robinson is going to, uh, Charles hasn't aged at all, has he? Doesn't he look the same? Charles recently turned 81 years young. That's tremendous, Charles. Thank God. Yeah. I'd love to get him on my uh, radio show. I've got a radio show on 92.9 The Game uh, in Atlanta on Wednesday nights. I'd love to get him on the radio show. But I've contacted the WWE, and as uh, as always would happen, they say, we'll get back to you, and they don't do fuck all. Well, I got his number. I'll get it to you. Yeah, but he'll have to say you got to call Mark Carano and you got to get his permission. And then Mark Carano says, I'll send it to PR. And you know what I think? I really don't think there's a PR department. There is. In, uh, there is. I just don't think Carano sends it to him. Yeah, that's probably right. Well, uh, someone there is not doing fuck all. Oh, which by the way, I, I wanted, I've been wanting to bring up here uh, that we're in WrestleMania season right now. And apparently we are in a, uh, as we head towards the hall of fame, we're going to have yet another year without Bob Cottle getting his due to being in the WWE Hall of Fame. Travesty of justice. Travesty. Worst thing can happen. Bob Cottle should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And uh, there's room for Lance Russell, too. And that's just my thought on that. Uh, So there you go. 
I don't even know who's going to be in the Hall of Fame this year. And I don't give a fuck. I, over the top. Goldberg, oh, Goldberg is the headliner. Well, good. Good for Bill. He'll probably end up hurting someone during the uh, ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> I love you for that. You know, there, there's, there's rumor and innuendo out there that Jeff Jarrett's going in, but we know for sure. Ah. Okay. That, uh, the Dudley boys are going in. Oh, good. Good. And that, um, uh, Beth Phoenix is going right. in. Not familiar with her. Sorry. Uh, I guess she went in last year. Yeah. Oh, she did. Okay. <laughs> um, either way there's, there's the rumor and innuendo. Okay. So there you go. But no Bob Codlin. What the fuck is wrong with that picture and a pickup? Look at that. Wow. Not only a great move by Diamond Dallas, but look at the sell job by Benoit. You know, a lot of times, he, and guys watching this, and and now I know you're 20 years later, and back then you were kind of a snot-nosed punk kid like Conrad Thompson back at that time, but you don't realize it, but now you do, is that what makes matches great is selling and being able to take a blow. And And, and Benoit was so good at that. When you would put a... Something on him, like what we just saw from Diamond Dallas Page, he could really sell it. And you don't have to oversell it, but you could just sell it enough to where fans think, man, that that move was tremendous. Meltzer has the match down at 15 minutes and 46 seconds. Of course, DDP is going to retain here. And he right. writes, the crowd didn't seem to know how to react to, uh, to either man uh, since neither are former WWFers. When Paige kicked out of the third German suplex, the crowd actually booed, hoping it would be a win. And then Paige hit a DDT for a near fall and then got the pin after the diamond cutter. Three and a quarter stars. The diamond cutter is the hottest finishing move in the business right now. Yes, it is. Let me add, let me go back a step here and ask, oh, uh, the crowd did not know how to react. How were they supposed to react? Yeah, it's Meltzer writing something you don't like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, let's that's... Talk- we okay. talked a little bit about Bret Hart a minute ago and where was he? Well, here's another question. Where's Ric Flair? Yeah, I know. M- I've seen, Ric- I've Sorry. seen Ric Flair signs. It says, woo, yeah, but I don't see him anywhere. Melser wrote, I'm still trying to figure out why Flair is at all the tapings. They have three hours with almost nothing, to, uh, nothing good to fill it with. And why he's never on television after coming off his best match in years and doing the best interviews in the entire business. And they say booking is a rocket science. Well, it must be because I can't figure any of this out. Yeah. Well, uh, here's, uh, here's booking, uh, in, and it may not come into play during this exact moment, but here is booking, uh, working for TBS one Oh one. Uh, you worry about nitro first as wrong as that can be. This is your moneymaker here, right? Right. You worry about nitro first because you want to please everybody at Turner Broadcasting that they've got a great show on Monday nights and then a great show on Thursday and Thunder. And if the pay-per-views have to suffer a little bit, hey, you know what? Not not too bad because we'll save a little bit of money. They'll have to pay some of the big superstars uh, some of the pay-per-view money. Uh, so there. Wade, That's T- TBS Booking 101. Wade Keller wrote, here's what's known about the Ric Flair situation. He has not signed his three-year contract extension those who said he did sign are the same people who last year claimed he signed a three-year extension, not just a one-year extension. Flair showed up for several TV events in a row without being used, and WCW said they didn't have a storyline for him, so they just kept him off TV. WCW wanted to put Flair in a TV match on February 5th, that edition of Thunder, allegedly against Eddie Guerrero, 
Mm. But Flair no-showed that event, thinking he wasn't going to be used. No one had informed him that this time they actually had plans for him. Flair was scheduled to be a part of an angle of some type. Nothing major though. This past Monday on Nitro, but as it turned out, he had a scheduling conflict since he had been scheduled to represent WCW at an important toy fair regarding a new licensing agreement from Monday through Wednesday. Flair has told friends he doesn't want to go to the WWF, but has also shown signs that he isn't especially happy with how he's being used in WCW. There is a deal on the table, but he has been the person postponing signing it. Since such a big deal has been made over Flair's absence from television, WCW's opinion of his value has since risen. The reason Flair didn't want to jump to the WWF is he believes they would be he would be asked to work more dates and would earn less money. It would be up to the WWF to change that perception and do so quickly before he signs with WCW. WWF sources, though, indicate that while Vince McMahon personally likes Flair and the feeling is mutual, he isn't eager to spend four hundred to six hundred thousand dollars on a forty-eight-year-old Ric Flair. Expectations are that Flair will appear finally on Thunder this week, while his long-term future is probably with WCW. It is not a lock at this time. Mm. And that's from Wade Keller. Yep. That sounds that sounds uh, like he has a lot of really uh, inside information, doesn't it? He does wind up coming back and working Lex Luger. Uh, in mm-hmm. a thunder match. And, um, of course the NWO gets involved and it becomes all about Hogan and Savage. Uh, but still he's back on TV, but not on pay-per-view here. It's sort of weird when you've got, I guess who most people regard as being, you know, the biggest star in the history of the company, you know, the guy who helped sort of build it on his back and he's not, he's not on the pay-per-view. He's not here at all. Yeah. And you've got Brad Armstrong and you got Mongo. Yeah. And Davey boy and right. LaParca and disco. I'm not, not right. disparaging any of those guys, but still no, like it's a pay-per-view. He's yeah. even on the nitro prior to this, uh, sting and Lex Luger are working against, um, Hogan and Savage and Hart and flair make the save at the right. end. So they're there and, and they know that he's a big deal because on nitro you announced that uh, Nitro is going to be in Minneapolis at the Target Center and tickets are going on sale on February 27th. And you even announced that the governor of Minnesota had declared February 27th Ric Flair Day and that Flair is going to be at the box office for the launch of ticket sales. Well, that worked because they wound up. It's a market that hasn't sold out a wrestling event in over 15 years. And WCW sells out a 16,000 seat arena and it takes less than 48 hours to do so. Yeah, there you go. You know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about parts of what you just said from um, from Wade Keller about Ric Flair, and uh, I can't imagine that he would be booked and not know it. Right. That that's how dysfunctional we were at times. And again, that's that would go back to the fact that, and I'm not I'm not pointing blame at anybody here, because I wouldn't know who to point blame to. But that would go back to the fact that Eric had a lot of people in place that shouldn't have been in place, that did not have the organizational skills for a big-time company like this. Who that would be, I don't know. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't because I don't know who was in that place. But how in the world can Ric Flair be booked and not know it? You know, what's crazy, too, is when you talk about how unorganized it is, in spite of that, you guys are doing huge business. You sold out Thunder in Oklahoma City, and it's the first time – 
that anything had sold out in Oklahoma since they did like Bill Watts, a JYD under a mask as stagger Lee against Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton in 1984. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that a thunder drew $225,000 at the gate, another $114,000 in merchandise. Right. But the following week you're selling out in Tampa again. And I know it's a tiny T tiny show, but I've always wanted to ask you about this one because that show in Tampa is at the state fairgrounds. And I always thought, man, why are they doing such a small arena here? But allegedly it's a favorite of George Steinbrenner. That's exactly what it was. How did that come together? Uh, I came together with Bobby Heenan because Bobby Heenan and George Steinbrenner were very close friends. Uh, and, uh, George was, uh, you know, willing, uh, it was giving us the rub with somebody big, uh, and that's why we did it. And that's why it started because the state fair was a big deal of Steinbrenner Steinbrenner for all, uh, on a national level, we, we, uh, associated him with the New York Yankees and all that he did there, but he was very, 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 uh, active in the Tampa area because that was his home. The go home edition of Monday Nitro here on the way to Super Brawl 8. The very last Nitro is going unopposed with Raw uh, because Raw's been preempted because of the dog show. Mm. So Nitro sets an all-time record here. They even broke the August 97 record. They get a 5.1. That August show only got a 4.97. So even though it's in Tampa and it's at the uh, state fairgrounds and there's only 4,000 people there, Television is through the roof. And on that show, Hogan and Bischoff would start the show talking about how they want Nick Patrick to be the ref, which of course makes you think that Nick Patrick is still, um, you know, a dirty ref. And he's doing a promo on that same nitro saying, no, this is all just a right wing conspiracy against us. Yeah. You know, when you tell me these numbers, it it makes me think of one thing here. Uh, It makes me think of the very first nitro. Uh, at the mall of America. Yeah. Uh, we got there early and I'm saying a couple of days early and Eric and I had lunch and Eric, uh, on this debut at nitro, I remember him telling me that he thought, and I think I'm, I maybe have really read this story before that he thought that there was a rating point of five out there that we were battling over. And if we would get a three and they would get a two, or we would get a three-point something, and they would get a one-point something, that we would win the battle. Well, we find out because Nitro gets hot and because of what they're doing the WWE that the rating point doubles. Now both companies are, are combined, instead of that five, around a ten. Uh, so it just shows me that what we were doing and what they were doing and w- this era – we had a lot of brand new wrestling fans and it was a great time for the sport. And it's going to be a time that I don't think we'll ever see again. I know we'll never see again. What I, it just, well, and of course, you know, the the society has changed. There's a million more channels and a million more things. You know, there's MMA, there's a UFC, there's all kinds of bullshit out there on TV. Not that I'm saying they're bullshit, uh, but there's a whole lot of things on TV. But this was an era that more people were tuning into wrestling than ever before. And it was not because of one or the other. It was because of both of us. 
because of a perceived war between, and it was real between us and the WWE and fans were into that. And here's a roll up one, two, you say that, you know, you, you, you tuned in to see a, a heel Hulk Hogan. It brought you back in, didn't it? It did. Yeah. So it, it was a great time. And it was really, a, a, if you think about it, a disappointing time because if I, if I do a lot of soul searching here, uh, then I think that, that I, I didn't always do a great job of calling the matches. Uh, but some of the things we did were great and some of the things were not so great, but here we are on the top of our game. There's a two count on the top of our game and damn, if I'm not going to fuck everything up in a few, uh, I don't know when it happened when I use the classic line, butts in the seats. I mean, that completely ruined our company. Completely ruined it. I think what ruined it is that you and Lash Theroux wouldn't lose any weight. Yeah, well, it could have been that. Oh, well, you know what I forgot to tell you about? I can't believe that <laughs> I'm just now mentioning this. You're not going to believe what popped up in my inbox the other day. Uh, uh, Lash LaRue obituary. Oh, that's fucking, that's rude. Well, I, I'm just trying to freestyle here. I don't know. I mean, you know. Lash LaRue emailed me. Oh, good. Good for him. And I'm being facetious about his obituary. Uh, Lash LaRue sent me an email on January 27th. Hey man, just wanted to drop you a line and congratulate you on your engagement and all the awesome success you're having with your podcasts. If you ever want to grab lunch and catch up with a fellow Bama boy, don't hesitate to holler at me. I wish you all the best. My brother signed Lash and he put his number. He's even, he's even got, uh, like my area code. So he lives somewhere in North Alabama now. Roll Tide. Wow. Can you imagine the, the bill for lunch with you and he, that, that's why I didn't respond. You know, <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I'm trying to lose weight. Not really. Uh, Hey, yeah. um, a, a porn video is what I'd like to talk uh, about now. Can we talk about uh, porn? Uh, why not? So because if I say no, you're going to talk about it anyway. You got it. So a new okay. porn video is coming out around this time called nude world order. <laughs> and the plot of course is a satire on WCW's new world order. And it right. stars Asia Carrera on the cover Ooh. of the video box with a wrestling title belt. And there's what? a, there's a porn Two, star used three. in the video named Tom Byron. And uh-huh. apparently he was chosen because he resembles Sean Waltman. Of course, uh-huh. later Sean Waltman would go on to be a porn star himself, but that's another story for another time. Chat me up. Did you ever see nude world order? I didn't see nude world order, but, uh, did Ron Jeremy play a Tony Schiavone character in the, in this one? Wouldn't that have been tremendous because he could blow himself, <laughs> which is something you never could No, and never would some bitch. Well, I'm just saying uh, the button okay. on a fur coat shirt is available yeah. now over at lowestrolls.com. And, uh, thankfully the old hedgehog had nothing to do with that. Now. The two, speaking of porn, I think the best new yeah. shirt over there is the Hot Tag Express. They have really outdone themselves on this. Go to LoisRules.com and see this okay. in person. We we sell wrestling shirts. We do not sell porn shirts. I want to make that very, very clear. And as I, I hope. Oh, gosh. I love that you say we don't. We sell wrestling shirts. I'm looking at a giant roll of baloney here. Well, and another shirt that says finger licking. And another nope. shirt that says cat bath. And another shirt that says low key, big hog and another yeah. shirt that says easy way or hard way. And another shirt that says hard to beat. And another shirt that says, what a slap dick. 
and another shirt that says Tommy Young, and another shirt that says Flair headed first, and another mm-hmm. shirt that says Bill's Glass Bottom Boat Ride, and another mm-hmm. shirt that says Parker's <laughs> Jump Rope Academy, and another shirt that says Hot Tag, and another shirt that's the button on a fur coat, and <laughs> two shirts that say the Panty Monster, okay. and I another shirt that says Klondike, and another okay. shirt that says Slap Dicks, and another <laughs> shirt that says Pasta Still Rules. And you're saying we don't sell porn shirts? No, we sell shirts based on the things we talk about. I'm not going to answer that. Hey, here we are. <laughs> Loisrules.com. Pick up a uh, shirt and eventually Tony will call you. My my yes. favorite shirt is still the full arm dragon twist. I do like yeah. the Shivani wedding 2018. The hashtag yeah. NFLTG. Cat yeah. bath is something that is really popular at the Conradison Low key big hug. I actually saw one of those in the wild about a week ago, and uh, mm. it was maybe the coolest shirt that I've seen that we actually sell in real life. Yeah, well, I get a lot of response from the shirt, the Tommy Young shirt, because I, I do know that people, and I've talked to people. Uh, you know, I try to make twenty calls a night when I'm not doing basketball or something. And uh, man, uh, November and December were big months for us. Thank you very much. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have got uh, here. We didn't get to see the giant, but we got to see the video. Uh, I'm going to, as as far as the wedding is concerned, all right. Uh, I'm going to make a big announcement about that uh, coming up because I I do want to thank everybody who bought a shirt and helped paid for the reception. We still got a little bit more to go on some other things, but everybody who bought a shirt, I feel, and I think Laurie, my daughter feels, uh, are a big part of the wedding. Uh, and we couldn't have done it without you. And so, obviously so we're we gonna, couldn't. So we're going to stream it on Facebook live. Yes. We, we're no, we're going to stream. We're going to stream my speech on Facebook live at the reception. Are you being serious? Yeah, we are. I just fucking made that up and I, I got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about uh, n- n- not, not the whole reception because you know, it, it's, I'm, I, I really like before I started doing this podcast with you as somewhat of a private person, I don't want to stream my, my daughter's uh, wedding nor the reception, but I think when I get up and you know, the father bride always makes a speech, I'm going to get up and I want everybody who bought a t-shirt or listen to this podcast. And of course we, we get sponsors on here. I want everybody to feel like they're a part of it. So that's what we're going to do. Let me ask, um, we, we, we haven't really talked about it, but I just want to be clear. Mm. The reception for this wedding is yeah. not at Shoney's, right? <laughs> no, uh-uh, no. Okay. Cause I was going to say, we will break the internet if we can actually live stream your speech yeah. from Shoney's because I'm going to the reception and I, I didn't plan on going to Shoney's, but if that's where the yep. reception was, I'll go <laughs> and I'll try the ham cubes. <laughs> Look, do you really think that? Scott Steiner would allow us in his Shoney's after what has been said on this podcast. If we're spending money. Yeah. Okay. Listen, here's what I'm saying. You can motherfuck us, but if you want to get your mortgage at one FMC.com, I'm going to take good care of you. You know what I'm saying? Cause that's what we do. That should be a billboard. <laughs> that should be a, a billboard in, in Huntsville. You can motherfuck us. <laughs> and we'll still take but, care of you. We'll still take your I'll still take care of you. Yes. All right. Uh hello, good looking. Here we go with the Macho Man Randy Savage. 
against the total package Lex Luger. The Macho Man was always really good at his character. I mean, uh, someone like Chris Jericho who came after him, really thought about his character, really cared about it. Um, you know, I made the, the statement before that back in the day when I was with the WWF, they would always say, tell the guys, you know, come dress, get in your gimmick. Macho Man would get to the arena. He would get dressed in his full gimmick and would spend all day in it doing whatever he needed to do. Uh, he would become, Randy Papa would become Randy Savage when he stepped into the building, not necessarily the arena. And I always respected that. I feel like we should give you the backstory here just so you're in the loop. Macho Man is sporting the black and white. But if we go back a couple of weeks on Nitro, when you guys were in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome, Sting is working with Randy Savage and Sting comes down from the ceiling of the Alamo Dome, which is like 40 stories high or something ridiculous. So whenever you see that, that clip of Sting coming down such a great distance, that's when it went down. The entrance gets a huge pop and the match. They don't really do a lot, but it does advance the storyline in a big way because Savage drops the elbow and goes for the pin, but Hogan pulls Savage off, which caused Savage to lose by DQ. Savage is furious at costing him the win. So they start arguing. Um, eventually Luger shows up and attacks Savage and, you know, we start to tease, Hey, what's going on here? Uh, on another nitro Hogan is being confronted by Savage and eventually Savage decks him and there's some dissension in the NWO here. So that's going to get us to this match. And this is technically a no DQ match. And Luger's going to show up here with his ribs all taped up from selling the injury from being attacked on Thursday thunder. And to really sell the deal, you're going to see Luger go for a press slam early, but his ribs are going to give out. So he drops Savage and starts selling. It's worth mentioning that Savage who was knocked unconscious an hour before thunder started and was still unconscious when it came time for the main event, three hours later is Mm. not selling any of the uh, effects from that same beating that Mm. uh, Luger has wrapped up ribs for here. Well, he went through apparently a concussion protocol and uh, was okay. <laughs> uh, but, hey, I, I do want to say something uh, uh, production-wise. Uh, we have basically three matches to go. Right. You are going to miss the finish of two of these three matches. Craig Leathers, that's on you. It's other, the other thing I noticed is this pay-per-view actually only goes two hours and 38 minutes. We don't get near the three-hour pay-per-view time limit that most people yeah. expect. We're about 20 minutes short. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Well, I mean, we can in, have, in my mind, okay. Well, there is nothing wrong, but why not throw Bret Hart and Ric Flair out there one more time? Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You got okay. twenty minutes, and they just did a big show uh, in Vegas, and uh, you know they're familiar with each other. Let's talk a little bit about this match, though. Meltzer right, fans were totally for Savage and chanting Luger sucks. Right. Perhaps the biggest part of the biggest pop of the entire show came when Luger racked Savage. And Elizabeth did a run in raking Luger's eyes. Of course, that's going to bring down the B squad. You're going to see that go down in just a minute. Hogan's going to eventually tell the NWO don't interfere. He wants to see Savage get beat. And then Savage, of course, submits somewhere in here though, the bell rings accidentally, which is sort of interesting because I think everybody assumed it was going to be a DQ since the NWO was interfering, but it's a no DQ match. So they don't explain why the bell rang. But eventually Savage gives up the second time that he's in the rack and that is the finish and the match in the observer got three quarters of a star. You know who, uh, who was our bell ringer for a long, long time. And it may still have been at, at this moment, 
as this moment. Who? Klondike Bill. Really? Yep. They put a headset on Klondike Bill, and Mickey would point, or one of the referees would point, and then they would tell Bill in the headset, ring the bell. I don't know if it was exactly at this time, but he he became a bell ringer for us. I want to talk a little bit about um, the main event briefly here, because the idea is that we've got a special referee. And so we've been teasing this referee and who's going to do it and who's going to be the guy. And even earlier on this show, we saw the stand-up interview with JJ Dillon and, uh, Nick Patrick, AKA Kenny powers. Yeah. But the rumor in innuendo is that you guys tried to get a Vander Holyfield. Well then I can't believe this is real. Dave Meltzer Mm. wrote this. The original plan here was to get a famous lawyer from the most famous trial in recent history involved to show up at the pay-per-view and legally bully JJ into reinstating Patrick for the main event rather than JJ having to basically reverse positions with no logical reason at all. Johnny Cochran was the first choice, (laughs) but when that didn't materialize, they come, uh, completed a deal for Robert Shapiro (laughs) and, and Meltzer wrote, I'm not making this up. Anyway, a few days before the show, Shapiro must've been talking with someone about doing it. And the person told Shapiro how associating with pro wrestling would affect his image. So he backed out and at the last minute it left WCW with no way to transition from angle a to angle C after Shapiro nixed the deal, WCW made one last ditch attempt to get Johnny Cochran who had claimed he would have liked the idea and would have been willing to do it, but it was those darn previous commitments. What do you remember Mm. about? Shapiro agreeing to come in and appear on the pay-per-view. I feel like we should remind everybody that OJ Simpson had taken over America, uh, with his trial from 94, 95, and was a really, really big deal. I mean, it was on every station, every newspaper, every magazine, it captivated America. Like maybe nothing else in history had, uh, especially with cable and the all-star lineup included a handful of attorneys who became really famous. F Lee Bailey being one Johnny Cochran being another and Shapiro. And it's just, uh, it's a little weird to see in hindsight that this was even considered. What do you remember hearing about Shapiro or Cochran? Maybe being at super brawl. There was, there was nothing talked in the backstage about that. Nothing at all. And I don't know where he got that information from, but that to me, that is that is absolutely preposterous that that would happen. There was no, there was no talk about that. None. You think it's made and, up bullshit? Unless it's something that Eric did on his own and didn't tell anybody about. And where Meltzer would pick that up, I have no idea. But I listen, I could see Johnny Cochran wanting to do something like, be willing to do something like that. But Shapiro, with his image in L.A., I don't even know why he would consider it. Unless... You go to the fact that lawyers are basically whores, and if there's money out there, they may be sniffing around a little bit. So uh, I'd like to point out that at Tony Schiavone 24 said that I have uh, nothing but the utmost respect for lawyers. Yeah, right. And even if I didn't, I just don't want to be sued real time. <laughs> I didn't name name any lawyers by name. No, you didn't. But uh, but you know, hey, if why am I doing this podcast? Because I'm a whore. Hell and that, well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I'm doing the podcast. That's because I want to help people save money over at onefmc.com because you know, Trump's new tax laws made it to where you're losing your tax deduction on your second mortgage. Did you realize that Tony? 
I did not realize that. Yeah. All of a sudden you're going to wake up next year and you're not going to get your 1098 and you're going to say, dude, where'd my tax deduction go? Well, guess what? Rates went up too, because rates are going up right now and they're going to be even higher by the time you realized you lost your tax deduction. So get rid of that home equity line of credit, that second mortgage, get a better rate right now and do it with uh, first family mortgage at one FMC.com NMLS number six, five, zero eight, four equal housing lender all time. Now I'm depressed. My second mortgage. I can help. I can help you out with that. You get the friends and family discount. Well, thanks. I mean, when, once you sent me those nude shots, Lois, I knew that we were going to be BFFs. <laughs> I mean, they were in black and white, <laughs> but still, boy, are they ever? Uh, and let's go back to the match, some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> How did we took this left turn into oblivion? We're talking about porn and talking about Lois being nude and. Trump tax deductions and Trump. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We have, we have, as they say, uh, jump the shark for the Savannah. And now you go pick up Lex Flicker. Oh, honey, jump right up. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh God. Isn't it weird to watch this match? Yeah. Just given, you know, what we know about both of these guys, real life relationship with miss Elizabeth. And so many yeah. people think of Randy and Liz as like the love story throughout wrestling history. And then we know, you know, how Liz's life came to an end and it involved, yeah. here's the big pop we were talking about yep. It involved, you know, Lex Luger and just to see all of this play out and know that, you know, two yeah. of the three of the performers here have passed yeah, it's, away. It's bizarro world. There's no question about it. And here comes the B team uh, again, uh, no disrespect to anybody who was there, but this is to me. This is one of the things that helped kill the NWO. I, I hate to say that, but it was. Uh, the NWO needed to be top stars and top stars only. And what the fuck Vincent, Mike Jones, is doing out there. Who? I have Mike Jones. Who? What's his number? 281-330-8004. What he's doing out there, I just, I, I just, it's just every time I see it, I go, what the fuck are we doing here? And... We all in the midst of all this shit, we missed the finish, which is another rack, which is the macho man submitting. I want you to pay attention to this. It was written in the, uh, torch as Luger walked to the back. The camera caught him spitting at a fan. The camera mm. then quickly cut away. According to a correspondent at the arena, the fan oh. spit back and Luger grabbed the fan and attempted to drag him over the railing, swearing at him and demanding that WCW head of security, Doug Dillinger quote, Bring him to the back. He grabbed hold of the fan sweatshirt and Dillinger tried to calm Luger and push him to the back. Dillinger yeah. chose not to eject the fan because he saw the entire incident and apparently believed he wasn't the instigator. Yeah. Uh, Dillinger was very, very sensitive to all this stuff. Spit right There's at the this... fan. There it goes. Cut away. Yep. Yep. Cut away into the, uh, and Doug turned his head and saw every bit of that. And here's the big pop. With Elizabeth raking, and that's kind of a, just a surreal moment right there as well. Her raking the eyes of Lex Luger. And then here is the uh, torture rack. And here, because we missed it, we are going to call, we're going to show it on replay. Because we were showing Hogan talking to his B squad. And there's your winner, the total package, Lex Luger. So, of the big three main events, uh, we have one missed finish. And Craig Leathers, again, that's on you, motherfucker. 
I feel like we should give you a heads up on the way out here. We recently covered it sold out, but we want to mention again here that dusty Rhodes is now with the NWO. Uh, he first did his, uh, first heel interview on the January 29th thunder from Memphis, which sold out and drew a great rating of 4.2. It was its best rating so far, but when they come out, Scott Hall and dusty Rhodes, Rhodes does the first heel promo and Meltzer would write, and boy, did he drop the ball to the point hall had to actually cut him off because he was going nowhere babbling about the people in the front office who were mad at him six years ago when he was booking and ripping on Tony Schiavone. Allegedly, <laughs> uh, Barry Bloom is Rhodes's agent and he's going to show up at nitro on February 2nd and try to work out whatever price they can for whatever program dusty is going to do. Do you remember this promo where he was ripping on you in Memphis and talking about the front office and his first heel promo? Yeah, I do. I, I was, I, I totally enjoyed it. Uh, because you know, in real life, Dustin and I were very good friends and I totally enjoyed it. So what the fuck? Well, they cut the interview short, um, yep. the next week where they come out again together, Scott Hall and dusty Rhodes. And this time Scott Hall does almost the entire interview and Dusty just makes one statement. Yeah. Do you remember people being disappointed? Cause Dusty's known as being one of the great promos in the business, but this one wasn't as well received. Yeah. It wasn't as well received, uh, because of Dusty doing his great promos. Look, Dusty did promos back in the era when you had, as long as you wanted to do promos, you go back fans. A lot of fans talk about, man, the great days on TBS in the mid-80s, in the studio shows. When Flair went out, when Dusty went out, when the Road Warriors went out, when Magnum TA went out, when Jim Cornette went out, they had as long as they wanted to do interviews until Dusty in the backstage area wrapped them up. You didn't go out and say you had three minutes. So Dusty would not, did not, he was doing old school interviews, and they just went on and on and on and on. When Dusty, that first interview was not well received, apparently by Meltzer. And it went on and on, and he didn't like it. When they told Dusty, you got to cut down on it, you got to let Scott Hall do most of it, Dusty was the type of guy that said, okay, if that's the way you want it, fuck it. I won't say anything at all. He would get pissed off about it. So that's why the second interview, you didn't hear Dusty say much. I also want to touch on the fact that Dusty Rhodes' name was not on the video font here. Right. I, don't think, I think you noticed that. And Dusty was not even announced by David Penzer. Again, lack of of communication from whatever to production and to David Penzer. It, it's a mistake. This why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you announce Dusty Rhodes? This survey bit that, uh, Scott Hall's doing is getting a huge reaction from the live crowd here, but it's, it's caused some controversy within the NWO in real life. Really? Kel Keller reported two days prior to this, when they did that big Las Vegas house show that we were talking about that you could get streamed. Well, yeah. the main event is Sting and Hulk Hogan in a cage match. And they even bring in Michael Buffer for the introduction. So they're pulling out all the stops for this. But Keller would write, at the end of the February 20th Las Vegas house show, Hall and Henning ran in to attack Sting, and Sting bashed their heads into the cage, then left. After selling the beating for a minute, Hall, Henning, and Hogan got up. Hall grabbed the house mic and worked the crowd with it being NWO country in Las Vegas. Hogan then grabbed the mic from hall and ripped into the fans after the matches at the hotel bar, Hogan confronted hall about quote, playing up to the fans. 
Hogan argued that he's trying to be a heel and hall is ruining that by playing it up to the fans as a baby face. Hall shot back some words and the exchange got pretty heated in front of several others. Hogan suggested that they need to split up the NWO gimmick. If they're not all on the same page, as far as wanting to be full fledged heels, the rest of that card at the MGM grand, uh, drew 8,529 fans, another monster gate, $216,000 in a market that's historically not been that strong, but allegedly this NWO split, there was a difference in philosophy about right. cool heel versus real heat. Did you hear about this? What'd you think? Yeah, I heard about this. Uh, that was, that was, that was pretty well known. I had a feeling about this. And I, uh, again, after the matches and guys have a few drinks, sometimes you say things you don't want to say. Right. But why was this done in public? If you will, to me, being jaded for the business smacked of being a work only because it was done in a fucking bar. That's what I'm, you know, we got to the point to where we, we tried to work everybody, including the fans to the point to where I, again, Conrad, let's think of this logically. If you have a problem with what's going on, why would you bring it up in a fucking bar right. with everybody around with Wade killer or Keller? I'll call him killer because he tried to, just like Dave Meltzer did, try to kill the business all these years. My but, okay, why, why would Wade Killer be privy to this if it wasn't a bar, unless somebody called him, of course. But uh, I, I just don't, to me, it smacked of a work. And maybe I was wrong, but it did. Well, let's talk about the work here because the Steiners are going to be taking on uh, the outsiders here defending their world tag team championships in the process. And on the way here, you may recall the power bomb was banned to the point that if Kevin Nash used it, he would be arrested. Well, on the way here, uh, he wrestled the Steiners and he was teaming with Conan. He hits Nash or Nash hits Rick Steiner with one of the belts. And then after the match, once the, the DQ has gone down, uh, Nash uses the jackknife on Charles Robinson and was arrested. Uh, he comes out the following week and does a promo where he talks about this thing being banned. And of course the, the reason it's banned is the way he dropped the giant on his head, uh, at sold out, but here's what Meltzer wrote about it. And I think this makes a lot of sense. All right. I guess we should digress to the power bomb story. Apparently since he came to WCW, he's been under the impression that since he really only does a few things and the power bomb or the variation of it that he does is his finisher that the move should be protected, meaning nobody else does the move. There are conflicting schools of thought on that policy. One school of thought is you protect the patented move of the star. The other is as, as long as the star doesn't prostitute out his move, meaning he doesn't let too many people kick out of it too often. An undercard guy can use it and the fans see the difference as in every pitcher throws a fastball, but that doesn't take away from Randy Johnson's fastball when he's on the mound. Anyway, Nash has wanted guys to not do the move. And when the accident with the giant took place, they decided to do an angle coming out of it with the end result in that nobody in the promotion was going to be allowed to do the power bomb. Nash of course would, and the move would be put over bigger than ever. And he'd be the only one allowed to use it. Well, the downside is it comes across like a behind the scenes promotion, banning the pile driver or jumping off the top rope as the booing fans reacted to JJ Dillon when he made the announcement was evident. Right. 
anyway, the wrestlers were told no more power bombs. And they even had a translator in Espanol telling all the Mexicans that if any of them did a power bomb, they'd be fired on the spot. One week later on nitro, we see three guys doing variations of it. Conan Kidman and Scott Steiner, while we're still trying to keep up the angle that it's banned and Nash is getting arrested every time he does it. Anyway, I hope he doesn't do it in Sacramento because they've got a three strikes law in this state and he isn't ever getting out. The announcer said the fine, if Nash does another power bomb, would be increased to $150,000, but they forgot to tell Nash and Hogan that angle since they both in their interviews talked about it being 50000 and by the end of the show, the announcers weren't going to contradict anything Hogan said, so they had to break out another case of Monopoly money. So yeah. Nash brings up in his promo that Kidman just used the move. Why wasn't he fired and arrested? So this yeah. actually turns him into a total babyface, and mentioning it, it's a baby face reaction. What'd you think of this banning the power bomb thing and it's inconsistency? Yeah. Well, again, it's inconsistency because we were so disorganized. Uh, I thought it was, I thought I'll go back to this. If it's a top move by one of your top stars, you only let him do it. Right. Because if everybody, if everybody uses a power bomb and people kick out of it, it ain't worth a fuck. The analogy to Randy Johnson, fastball is just bullshit. That's a guy not knowing baseball compared to wrestling. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I thought it was because it got lost in translation because of all the money and all this. And it just, it was bullshit. On the actual video screen here, we're seeing Scott Hall give Rick Steiner the razor's edge and Scott Steiner's not helping because he turned on his brother. This, uh, incredible run that the Steiner brothers have had as a tag team just ended in a four minute match with the outsiders. As we see them helping Ted DiBiase to the back here. And now all of a sudden Scott Steiner's two sweeting the outsiders and handing them his and his brothers tag team titles, right? The outsiders uh, are your champions. The unification. This is okay. I understand this is the beginning of big Papa pump. I understand all that. I think this is a mistake. And maybe it's old school in me thinking this, but I think that splitting up the Steiners was wrong. They're the Steiner brothers. They're the, and I know Scott Steiner does not look like the Scott Steiner had the mullet and wore the, uh, the jacket, but I just, I, I don't think you should have split up a uh, school board and ham cubes. I don't. It's it's but, weird seeing Scott Steiner do the two sweet. And I don't think you really understood exactly how to make the Wolfpack sign here. Dusty Rhodes is raising the hands of the Steiners. This is sort of a weird thing. I never got used to seeing DiBiase with the Steiners and he's out there yeah. seconding him. And now Dusty seconding the outsiders. And it just feels a little bit, uh, overbooked and the match itself could have been a lot better because the crowd was super hot for this. They were ready for right. it. But the turn from Scott Steiner is something nobody saw coming, I don't think. No, no one saw coming. And you know what? You, you talked about it could have been a little bit more. It happened too early, I thought, in the match. Yeah, they could have They could have went a little longer for sure. Uh, and then we get the, the shot we were looking for for the magazines. Scott Steiner, a part of the NWO, talking trash to the fans. I mean, he hasn't been a heel in a long time. He's been a babyface with his brother forever. Yeah. And... Uh, we're going to see the replay here where he turns on him and it happens right. in the middle of their little pose where Steiner Rick is on all fours underneath his brother, where he would run around the ring barking. The double ax handle comes down and he does the uh, double underhook suplex and leaves the bones for the outsiders Ugh. to pick. 
sort of an interesting, uh, show so far. I mean, we've seen a coming out party for Booker T DDP and Chris Benoit are definitely getting themselves over in a big way. Uh, Chris Jericho, his star continues to rise. Hooventude is also there to be unmasked. Uh, now we've got this turn. We never thought we would see. No. Yeah. The Steiner brothers are breaking up. Yeah. The Steiner brothers are breaking up to me. And again, this is uh, armchair booking, uh, 20 years later to me. And it wouldn't have been able to work in this match to me. It would have been better turning both Steiner's heels. And now we're going to see one of the stupidest promos ever. Just one of them. I'm trying to think what in the world it's uncensored. It's uncensored. And we're going to try to make it as stupid as we can. The fuck? Uh, well, this is Turner Home Entertainment at its best, buddy, or WCW at that time at its best. Just w- once again. There's no storyline continuity. We're doing no. it with high voltage. Yeah, and it's Brian, just Brian Clark and the public yeah. enemy and, and props and gimmicks. But yeah, no. it, it's just this. It's that people and I, Mike Shockett, I guess, was a part of this. Uh, people were responsible to make these promos. And Eric and booking and creative would say, yeah, go ahead and do it. Whatever you put out there, that's fine. Do you think Vince McMahon would, would say that about any promo that was put out about his show? No, no. Okay. And that was one of the things uh, if you're if at home and you got a ledger pad, one of the things is that Vince was in charge of creative and that meant slash every fucking thing. As- Eric was too busy with all kinds of other bullshit to even worry about this. And as a result, our shit looked terrible. As a reminder here, Michael Buffer is, uh, reminding the crowd, Hey, the, your next match is for the vacant world heavyweight title. Because of course we, uh, had some controversy coming out of Starcade, and they right. decided the best thing to do is to just hold the title up. So yeah. we're instead of getting, which was promised to us at world war three, Scott Hall getting a title shot. We're saying Scott's got to wait. We need to finish this Sting Hulk Hogan issue, which had been doing big business everywhere they did it. So it's a logical headline for them here. I, I feel like I should mention real fast. Uh, Meltzer said mm. uh, fans were really into this match, talking about the Steiners and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. With Hall and Nash getting the total positive reaction, this wasn't a match at all, just a backdrop for the angle of Scott Steiner going heel. The angle itself was really good. Scott had come out looking mad and teasing the turn big time. As a reminder, on the way here, Scott would refuse to tag his brother in on TV. Hall goes up for the edge, simply can't lift him the first time, gets him the second uh, for the pin, and then Scott threw referee Dickinson, who seemed to be having a bad night by this point, out of the ring. And the funny thing was, after cheering his turn, when Scott gave the NWO hand signal and climbed on the ropes, the crowd booed him heavily. Go figure. Star hmm. star and a quarter. Okay. I wonder what Wade Killer thought of it. Let me but ask that's you this. another story. Bill okay. Watts allegedly wanted to turn Scott Hall heel before he left WCW. Do you think that Scott Hall turning heel in ninety two would have come off better? No. No, not at all. Hulk Hogan here in this entrance, I feel like, you know, we don't talk about enough, but I don't know that there's ever been a guy who was able to get over his baby face version and his heel version 
as differently and as effectively as Hulk Hogan has, because these two characters could not be more different. You know, the, um, the Hulkamaniac version that mid eighties, late eighties, early nineties, Hulk Hogan is over like Rover, like nobody's ever seen before. And then he does it again with this heel version of himself that look totally different, behave totally different. Promos are totally different. I don't know that anybody was able to be, I mean, he was the biggest star in the business as a baby face. And then he was the biggest star in the business as a heel. Right. And, and it's really hard when you look back, at least to me to say, Hey, which one did he do better? Because he did both so effectively. Can you think of anybody else? Like to me, Rick Flair, Rick Flair as a heel was way better than Rick Flair as a baby face, but that's just it, my opinion. No, you're right. He was, he was a great heel. He was a good baby face. Hogan was a great heel and a great baby face. And I like the fact that he would come in the ring as we just saw, and he would do just a tiny bit throwback yep. to Hulk Hogan by tearing the shirt and listening to the crowd as almost mocking what he used to be. You got it. It was tremendous. Can you think of anybody else who did it as well? That no, could really no. do both sides of the coin as well. There was no one, no one. And I know a lot of people shit on Hulk Hogan. A lot yep. of the smart fans shit on Hulk Hogan. Fuck you. You don't have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I mean, listen, if you want to criticize Hulk Hogan for match quality and you yeah. know, doing hot moves and all that, okay, I get it. And some of his heel work is silly. I mean, obviously yeah. the Hulk up in and of itself is silly, but right. like the back scratches and things like, okay, I, all right, I get it. But still, as far as the effect it had on box office and yeah. casual fans and just the overall presentation, I don't yeah. know that anybody did it as well as Hulk Hogan. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I'm sure there are fans out there that disagree that, you know, that because of the backstage politics, because he always looked out for himself that hate Hulk Hogan. Well, well, I mean, here's the know. deal. Everybody looks out for themselves and yeah, and, they do. And everybody acts like they don't, but, but there's really nothing cool with not looking out for yourself. Yeah, uh, believe you me. Yeah. You know, there, there's no reward in that. And, and Hogan yeah. is, is where he is because he's made good business decisions. Um, but just when I look at this work, I, I feel like sometimes this version of Hulk Hogan doesn't get its just due. I think so many people talk about the NWO and for whatever reason, when they do, they sort of want to give all the credit to Hall and Nash for that. But really the NWO without Hulk Hogan wouldn't have had the staying power or the effect on the business long-term that it did. Yeah. There, there, there's you, you're exactly right again. And Hogan's just doing, you know, if, if you, if you take a look at this, Hogan screaming to the camera and mugging to the camera and, and trash talking, doing all that he's doing. If you just do a quick flashback of, of the babyface Hulk Hogan it's like, holy shit, holy shit. This guy, this guy's remarkable about what he can do. Now there's probably going to be people who, who listen to this podcast and say, oh, we had a big, uh. We had uh, Conrad and Tony give Hogan a big blow job during the last hey, match. I don't well, fucking care. Hulk Hogan yeah. is the biggest star in the history of the yeah. business. And right. he, he doesn't get his just due because Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller and guys like that really, yeah. in my opinion, really sort of tainted the view of Hulk Hogan amongst they did. the common fan, like the back rake. Okay. I could get behind some of this as silly shit, but at the same yeah. time, Hogan play, what I'm complimenting him on is his ability to be a totally different character and get it over as both a baby face and a heel yep. almost to similar degrees because people thought, oh man, the business will never be what it was 
when Hogan was on top, like WrestleMania, WrestleMania three, WrestleMania five, he fucking beat it here and he beat it as a heel and nobody, lots of people say they can do it, but they didn't. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you say is a hundred percent accurate. And, uh, listen, here's a great example. I think most people agree that stone cold is the biggest box office star in wrestling, but that was as a baby face. You go back in history and you look at WrestleMania 17 and when he turned heel, it wasn't the right move for business. You know, business did go down with him as a heel and it wasn't, it wasn't the same. And his, his decision to turn heel has been criticized even by himself that the timing wasn't right. They should have waited. He should have did it differently, whatever the case may be. But the heel version of stone cold as a tippy top guy was not as over as the babyface version. And all I'm complimenting here is that Hogan made his babyface and heel versions just as over. Yeah. And I go back to an event that we've covered, uh, go back in the archives and check this out. Uh, bash of the beach, the heel turn, one of the great heel promos ever really was. And he, he improvised a lot of that. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a big day in the annals of WCW. Let's, uh, let's go over what, uh, Meltzer covered here for this match. Uh, sting regained the vacant WCW title, beating Hulk Hogan in 16 minutes and 32 seconds. Cause mm-hmm. Hogan books his own programs. It was no doubt his own insistence to swerve people at the last minute. But since he was doing the job, he dominated virtually the entire match. And the negative of that is his offense is beyond bad. Yeah, the match see? was saved by having a very good storyline with the match at its most pathetic. Tony Schiavone screamed how this was Hogan at his best. Hogan <laughs> never left his feet until one, <coughs> until one three stage lame bump from a reverse atomic drop. Eventually, of oh. course, Savage hits the ring, knocks out Hogan with a spray can. Patrick revives and counts as Sting pins Hogan, and Hogan sold the blow for several minutes, allowing Sting to paint WCW on Hogan's back as the show went off the air. Uh, half a star is what Meltzer yeah. gave it. Yeah, well, fuck Dave Meltzer. Can we put that on the shirt? And uh, I asked Dave Meltzer, how, what, 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 as if you put him in the chair, what would he have done? Say, oh, Hulk Hogan is getting 90% of this match. Oh, he's booking his own shit. You know, fuck you, dipped shit. Well, here's the reality, too. Like, if you're, I mean, I don't know much about wrestling. I'll admit, I've not taken a bump. I don't know shit. Well, I'm you know what? Neither does Meltzer. Well, here's what I'm saying, though. I do understand that the heel usually calls the match in the ring. So you go back and you look at, you know, even Ric Flair's matches, he's calling the match. Now he didn't have a lot of notable offense either. Like what are Ric Flair's notable offensive moves, the chop, the figure four, but realistically he's just selling. Well, Hogan can't sell the way Ric Flair does. We know that. Right. So he's going to dominate with some cheesy offense. Yeah. And then he's now, you know, if Hulk Hogan is, is completely going to dominate this match, why is he going to cower in fear here when Sting does his little, you know, strongman? See that? That little pose there in the right hand, and now Sting's going to get some offense. And really, the fans are really not into it. But uh, as you can see, he's, I just, uh, sometimes, you know, I think we clutter up our shit by, 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 bringing up Meltzer and Wade killer. But anyway, that's, I like to respond to that stuff. Well, I mean, that's sort of the format of the show and that we want yeah. to examine what really happened with someone right. who 
who wrote about it as if it was all gospel. And then someone who was there and doesn't remember very much of it. (laughs) I remember a lot more than you think. And I remember that some of the stuff that Hogan did was great. I will agree with this. I thought that I said maybe once, maybe twice, what a match we're having. And I remember saying that because I knew that kind of overall this match wasn't that good. It was just a bunch of forearms and a bunch of shots. So it was my job to try to make it sound a little bit more exciting than it than maybe it was. And maybe, well, not maybe, I'm sure many times I went way over the top. But you know what? It was my fucking job to do that. It was my job to try to make it sound more exciting than it was. And if you're back there, you know, if you're back there, one of these guys like Dave Meltzer, and because there's no luchador match or because we're not in the egg dome so you can take your hand off your dick and stop jacking off, uh, maybe that it didn't is not what you liked. Maybe my overselling was wrong for you. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the differences between the WWF and WCW. I just referenced earlier in the show that Bruce and I just covered no way out 1998 and what a fucking terrible card it was. This was tremendous by comparison, but a lot of that was because of the undercard, you know, over there, we're getting the Quebecers working with the Godwins. And here we got DDP and Chris Benoit. We got Jericho Uh and Hooventude. We got much better undercard matches from WCW at this time to the point that it wasn't even close to compare it to a WWF card. But on top, your main event matches at the time were guys like The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels or Shawn and Brett or Shawn and Austin. Meanwhile, you've got Hulk Hogan here. And realistically, if you're comparing, you know, an enjoyable match with Shawn Michaels or Hulk Hogan, there's no comparison. I mean, Shawn Michaels is going to steal the show every time. Right. But it certainly did feel like you guys had a, had the bigger stars because, right. you know, my parents are, are like the, the most casual wrestling fans ever, but they would probably mispronounce or bumble Sean's name, but they know who the hell Hulk Hogan is. Well, let me ask you this question. What do you consider a, an enjoyable match? Guys who can work and have great false finishes, have great bumps, tell a great story in the ring, or do you, do you consider an enjoyable match, uh, the, uh, what's going to happen here where your baby face goes over and your super heel gets spray painted. Do you walk away saying, how was an enjoyable match? I what's an enjoyable match for one person is not necessarily enjoyable match for the other person. Sometimes the story itself, WCW against the NWO sting, getting his just due to me is every bit as good as guys who can perform in the ring. And, and here that's now see the fans are rising. Yep. You know, they, they, they know the, they know the finish here or they know the, the uh, finishing maneuver here and Hulk gets to the rope. They thought that was going to be it. And they also think, well, the finish is coming here and I want to be a part of it. And look, what do you think brought in the money to this gate? You think it was Hooventude and the disco Inferno and some of the great matches on the undercard? No, these two guys did. These two guys brought them, these two guys. Oh my God, that's, you shouldn't have a 60 year old guy get involved in a bump like that. Ah, Charles. Now here, and again, uh, and this is on you, Craig Leathers. You're going to miss the finish here, uh, when it happens, because here comes, uh, well, I guess we got a couple more minutes before the finish. Here comes, uh, Kenny powers. (laughs) I like how you, he kind of looked at the and slid him out of the way. That was really cool. 
Really, really. Just, just take that body and push him out, push him off the boat. And here's Hogan <laughs> wanting to know, Hey, why didn't you count fast? Yeah. Yeah. Then he says, Hey, it's me, brother. And very good. Hogan. See, watch here. It's me. That's cool, man. That's good stuff. God, it's a good story. We're pro wrestling. All right. That's what we are. And so now I, Hulk Hogan I, laid I, it in. I think a lot of people were ready for the screw job finish when they said yeah. Nick Patrick and now Nick Patrick pulling sting off or pulling Hogan off by the hair is threatening to throw him out of here, disqualify him and make sting the winner. So this is, I mean, it is good. It is. It's a lot of Gaga, but it's, yeah, telling, it is. it's telling a good story. Sure. It's telling a good story. We're telling the story that Nick Patrick, when it's all cut and dried is worried about his livelihood. Okay, he had that NWO turn. He got uh, the guys got to him. He he was convinced that it was the right thing to do. But now JJ reinstated him. He was thrilled. He was happy about it. And now he is going to show that because he's worried about his paycheck more than anything else, which we all are, by the way. Then he's going to just do one, two. Uh, he's going to do the right thing, and that's call it right down the middle. So there. I want to ask you some questions that we got here on Twitter. Uh, Jason wants to know better sting, Tony, Venice beach or crow. Yeah, it's gotta be crow for me. I know for you, Conrad, it's, it's uh, Venice beach, but it's gotta be crow because that's where we did our big business. Andrew wants to know this main event between Hogan and sting wasn't as fucked up as Starcade, but why did WCW always overbook their main events? We've got two ref bumps, people coming down the rope, uh, people coming down the ramp. It always fails to be a clean ending of a pay-per-view always yeah. a mess. Who's that from Andrew? Andrew, you booked this shit. Justin wants to know of all the wrestlers at Super Brawl 98, who had the low key big hog? <laughs> uh, that probably was, uh, and I think you probably noticed it on, on the out. Go back and watch this again. It was probably Big Papa Pump Ham Cube. Robert wants to know what's Tony's favorite pizza topping? Uh, it is uh, Old World Pepperoni. Eric wants to know any heat on Booker T for injuring Rick Martell, not once, but twice in the same match? No. Not at all. Uh, it Ad happens. Yeah. Adam wants to know why was Eric Bischoff more interested in unmasking Hoovy than getting Bret Hart booked? Bret Hart yeah, booked. That's a good question. Uh, because Eric apparently wanted to uh, flex his power uh, at right now. And uh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that, which I did. Pops to three wants to know who was the most intimidating guy in the locker room? Uh, it was Ming, always. Uh, Chris wants to know, were, were you genuinely surprised by the ham cube turn? I remember you saying they didn't always reveal results to you. Yeah, I was, I was generally surprised, but then again, you could almost see it coming when he was on top of, of Rick straddling Rick and he, the way he looked, you could see, I didn't know it was really coming, but you could see it coming. I feel like I should, uh, smarten everybody up here. We've got something fabulous coming at the end of this episode. All about school board and ham cube. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be what everybody's talking about tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Jeremy wants to know when sting spray painted WCW on Hogan, was this supposed to be the end of the NWO? It looks like a fitting end. No, I, I don't think so because you can tell how the, the reaction the NWO got with fans. I just think this was another blow, another salvo, if you will, in the storyline or between NWO and WCW. Ed wants to know when the Steiner brothers would the Steiner brothers feud have been better had Scott had just turned on Rick without being part of the NWO. 
He became just another player in the NWO, another piece in the background on his own. He might've been a bigger player. Hmm. I thought it would have been bigger if both of them turned. And I said that before. Uh, Chris says, please make a school board and ham cube shirt. You think we should do that, Tony? <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, Whoa, no, wait, wait a minute. We can't. Why? Because the, the, uh, Scotty would want part of it. You know how. No, we're is. not using his name or likeness. I made that shit up. I made up okay. school board and ham cube. Okay. Uh, Chris wants to know, not the biggest Bret Hart fan, but he's only been in the company a couple of months and he isn't even wrestling. Was he having issues with Bischoff? Well, of course he was. Everybody was at that time. And I'm not the biggest Bret Hart fan either. Liked him. But, I, you know, I, I just kind of thought that, uh, to me, Bret Hart wasn't a big star right now. Maybe he was, but he just wasn't. SG wants to know, who made the decision to have Scott turn on Rick? Was that a Scott call? Hogan call? Bischoff call? Do you remember? Bischoff call. Uh, Trav Maddock wants to know, why in the hell was Brad Armstrong still on payroll in 1998? Yeah, uh, well, because the kid could work. Um, Ryan wants to know. So if Tony got the job over Eric, would Tom huh? Zink have been world champ? He would have been world tag team champ. He would have been world tag team champ. Wow. Oh, there's another ref bump. Another ref bump. Kenny Powers takes a nut shot, apparently. And boy, is he. Fl and now here comes the B squad. All right, we're going to miss the field. Nut shot on Scott Norton. There goes Buff. There goes what the fuck are they bringing Mike Jones in again for? Who? Would we please stop, Mike Jones? Who? Uh, now see that we missed the finish. Savage coming through with the can of paint, knocking out Hogan. Sting will pick up the remnants. Kenny Powers will do with the left hand, and Sting is your world heavyweight champion. And a fan throws in a water bottle. Doug Dellinger chases the NWO out. Why can Doug Dellinger chase him out now? Why don't they just jump on Sting? But we want to see Sting's, oh, what the hell is this? Is that Hogan's thermos that fell out? No, it's a can of paint. And uh, so why don't we paint Hogan? Would have been real good if we would have painted JJ's glasses right there. Right across, across the glasses. May have woken him up, but he's going to paint WCW. So, you know, say what you want about Hulk Hogan taking a lot of the matches, but he laid there for the WCW, didn't he? He went down one, two, three. Oh, but it wasn't the right way to get there. Yeah, fuck. Good moment. Sting gets the title. I've always liked the way JJ presented him the belt. He presented yeah. it like it was special. Yeah. And uh, it is, of course, the most famous world title in the business at that point. Going back to Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat. And now Sting throws it on the ground. <laughs> Sting yeah. wearing all black here, but no scorpion yeah. insignia. Uh, Hogan doing the same. Hogan's got on his spray painted boots and his Hollywood belt, but all black tights here. And, you know, we got the big run in from all of the WCW crew to go off the air for Starcade as everybody celebrates the win over the NWO. But this time, uh, nothing going on except it looks like a fan jumped and in the when, ring. Yeah. Security is there to try to get them off Hulk Hogan, but Hogan just, uh, lays in a pile of trash 
and sting walks to the back as the pay-per-view comes to an end. It doesn't feel like this big moment in WCW history when sting finally becomes the champion. No, you're right. The, the ending shot was not what it should be. If WCW finally, after what happened to Starcade, finally got the title back from Hulk Hogan, it should be a little bit more excitement. You're totally right. But the fact that Hulk Hogan did his heel promo turn in a pile of trash and now is laying in a pile of trash to me looked really good. Uh, one other final thing here as the credits are rolling, you'll notice that I'm not on the credits here at all. Um, and that was, well, filling in the blanks wants to know how did the rest of the locker room feel about sting being paid a year to basically have the year off to build this feud with Hogan? There's a lot of people that didn't like that, but that's business. So a lot of people said, yeah, you know what? I got a job. I'm doing okay. Matt wants to know, Tony, can you give us an update on Scott Steiner's attempt to shake you down for $10 in royalties? <laughs> And I, I've left that alone, man. I, I've, I've completely removed myself from that. I, I thought, listen, I did think, why don't I, because I, I like to consider myself a nice guy. Why don't I just go ahead and, uh, I don't know, go over to ham cubes and present him a check. And you said, fuck no, don't do that. <laughs> so, uh. No, I mean, listen, I, I said, fuck, no, don't do that as part of the show. If you want to take him his, no. his cut of the shirts, then by all means. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Uh, because, uh, you came up with that shit. Well, he yeah, I, I feel like we should just, you know, smarten everybody up here. We don't hate the Steiner brothers. We're we trying, love the Steiner. We're trying yeah. to make this entertaining. This was right. all, this was all to make you laugh. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, we have a shirt up right now that says, Conrad eyes, try the hand yeah. cubes. This is, <laughs> this is not serious. We're not beefing in real life yeah. guys. We're having no. fun. Yeah. If you, if you look at this match now and, and cannot distinguish the line between fantasy and reality for these matches, you ain't going to get what we're doing here. <laughs> okay. Um, You're not. So, uh, JBL uh, Cena fan wants to know, should Scott Hall have gotten a title run? Um, as he was kind of not Nash level, but much less Hogan. Uh, Scott Hall was, uh, of all three of them, Scott Hall was the best worker. Oh, no so, doubt. No uh, doubt. So I don't know why he says not Nash. -like. I think he means over. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. You damn right. He should have had a title still to me, the best working punch in the business. Uh, sports dude wants to know, have you found the six man belt yet in the attic? I am not, but you know what? Uh, we're going in the attic sometimes very soon. Look, the month of March when basketball is finally over, uh, I'm going to have a chance to, uh, have some time to where I can spend at the house. So Bill wants to know, does Tony insist his chair at, uh, UGA basketball games is higher than anyone else? Uh, you, we cannot adjust the chairs at UGA basketball games. So I could sit on a phone book, I guess I would still put a stick up my ass and do it that way, which would be an enjoyable way to see some of these basketball games at times. Um, I probably should put a stick up my ass. I probably had a stick up my ass during nitro. Uh, bad money. Slim wants to know how generic did Sting's tights look with no scorpion or anything on them. 
after all these years, it still irritates me. Bad money, Slim. You ask the damnedest question sometimes. If it irritates you, then you were watching the wrong thing. <laughs> Larry wants to know who really thought the goddamn Candyman could beat Goldberg. Uh, <laughs> nobody. That's why we said it was an enhancement match. El Segundo wants to know, was the mood in the <laughs> locker room fairly somber due to Spicoli's death? Or by this point, was it business as usual? It was business as usual. Not so sure how many, how many friends Louie had. I'm sure he had some that he traveled with. It would have been much more somber. And I, and I don't listen, I'm not disparaging Louie or I'm not uh, making his death seem insignificant. But the mood would have obviously been more, uh, more, a lot more somber had it been a guy who was on top. I mean, isn't that natural? Yeah. Isn't that logical? Okay. Uh, Mark Downs writes, I'm not exactly sure what to make of this, but I guess mm. this will be our last question. Okay. What the shit was this show? I felt I was watching a bag of dildos. Okay. I've watched a bag of dildos before. Really? Uh, yes. I've watched, I, I sit and watched it for three hours one day and it just seemed to me that at the end of the night that this show was a little bit more over than those bag of dildos because they didn't move. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You needed somebody to sell for the dildos. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to be selling you some shit next week. It's Wrestle War 1991. Uh, it's mm. hard to imagine uh, that that went. I mean, this card is stacked. We're going to run through it in just a minute. Uh, and this coming Saturday is going to be, I believe, the 27 year anniversary of this show. Uh, oh. So if you've got a question about Wrestle War 91, it's got one of the most iconic posters of all time because you see Sid, Arn, and Barry in fatigues. And they crop out Ric Flair in a fucking gray suit, which made absolutely no sense. But here we go. Um, your six-man tag team championship is on the line to get us started. We've got Ricky Morton tagging up with JYD and Tommy Rich to take on Ooh. Big Cat, State Patrol, and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. That's a real thing on pay-per-view. Next up, we've got Bobby Eaton working with Brad Armstrong. And then we've got a tag team match with a handful of Japanese performers where I will butcher their names for you next week. Dustin Rhodes is taking on Buddy Landell. That's right, a Buddy Landell pay-per-view match. We've also got the Royal Family, which is Jack Victory and Rip Morgan, taking on Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. Are you excited about this? Because I sure am. Yeah, man. In a no-DQ match, we've got the Z-Man taking on Terry Taylor with Alexandra York. We've also got a singles match between Big Van Vader and Stan Hansen. Finally, something awesome. We've got the WCW United States Heavyweight title on the line because everybody wants a 13-minute Lex Luger match. And Lex Luger will be working with Dan Spivey. Second from the top for the World Tag Team titles, we've got the Freebirds with Big Daddy Dink and Diamond Dallas Page taking on Doom with Teddy Long for the World Tag Team titles. And then in the main event, it's a War Games match. And this is going to be pretty fun. We've got the four horsemen with Barry Windham, Rick Flair, and Sid Vicious and Larry Zabisco taking mm. on Brian Pillman, the Steiner brothers and sting. And you probably remember one spot in particular. That's what I remember most about war games. 91. How about you, Tony? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't remember that spot. What spot are we talking about? Well, you'll see next week. It involves Sid, a cage and Brian Pillman. Okay. So now, I'm, now you're, now I'm starting to remember. I'm starting, I'm starting to, remember. to look forward to it, but I'm also <laughs> looking forward to 
uh, us getting the fuck out of here. Because when I look at the time, it feels Ooh. like it's about that time. Oh, yes, and he's lost. Juventud Guerrero has lost to Lionheart Chris Jericho, and now he peels his mask off. My God, it's Conrad Thompson. It's Con- it's Juventud Thompson, and he can save you money at 1FMC.com. We'll see you next week on What Happened When on the MLW Radio Network. Boy, Juventud is let himself go. So this goes to all my freaks out there. Welcome. To the dog pound. Big bad booty daddy. A little ditty about scuboarding him cube. Two Wolverines all grown up figuring out what they should do. They used to be big wrestling stars. Now one makes the junior high budget, the other stocks the salad bar. Grits at the breakfast buffet Signing off on the new playground budget with the Sharpie One schoolboy told him, Cube, hey, let's go to New York City They had to allegedly Saying, oh yeah, life goes on After the Frankensteiner and Steiner life is gone Face Gremlin, we are pumped and we are pine. Come down to the dog pound, boys. We'll make you famous. You take your 33 and one third chance, minus my 25% chance. You got an eight third chance of winning that sacrifice. But then you take my 75 chances of winning at 66 two thirds percent. I got 141 two thirds chance of winning the sacrifice. The numbers don't lie. Oh, yeah. Life goes on Long after the memory Of Chucky and the Leprechaun Oh yeah Singing life goes on Go grab the unlimited bacon While you get you drunk on Get you drunk on The world of NLW Radio never stops